Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, today we are uh, actually very proud to have Mr. Charles uh, Veitch. Is that how you say it, Charles? Veitch. How dare you? <laughs> My apologies, sir. Um, we're going to be talking uh, about the Love Police and uh, also just about like uh, the recent controversies and confusions regards to the Venus Project and uh, after all of that, you know, we will be hopefully, you know, if the conversation goes very smoothly and we get everything handled, maybe there'll be an opportunity for callers. Um, in any case, uh, thanks for coming on the show today, Charles. Uh, to those of you listening, um, you can visit my website, vradio.org, v-radio.org, like v-radio.org. Uh, there you can see archives of a lot of shows like this. Um, not to mention uh, my must-see TV list, which is basically a list of free documentaries you can watch on the Internet. Um, and thanks you once again to everybody who has been donating to keep the radio show going. So all of that out of the way, uh, Charles, introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, everyone. Uh, please call me Charlie Neal. First of all, thank you very much for having me on uh, Venus Radio, V Radio. Um, I am the one and only member of the Love Police. It's uh, kind of a, an individualistic, anarchic um, activist group who mixing absurdism with activism, with filmmaking, with general um, 3D world physical fun, which uh, it seeks to expose how hierarchies and organizations and um, structured societies in terms of money and politics and um, law enforcement are all bullshit, really. So that's what I do. Right. Oh, let me go ahead and warn the listeners. Um, I did uh, turn the uh, content up to mature, so for those of you with children, um, be ready for that. Just uh, uh, he, Charlie, asked that I go ahead and do that. So um, we're free to curse today. Um, in any case, uh, well, I, you know, I've seen some of your videos, and I definitely have always liked what you've uh, what you've done. Um, I generally ask every new guest who's an activist, you know, what was the precipice for you? What got you to start thinking outside the box, you know, to become an activist? There's uh, many things, Neil. It's, um, but the, the honest answer is just an ongoing view of the general way human beings in power treat their fellow human beings as absolute scum, as cattle. <clears throat> and I guess a turning point for me was two things. The economy completely collapsing, which opened my eyes in terms of the job I was doing in finance and also the Israeli um, bombardment of the Gaza Strip, which um, I did the math. They um, killed 27 civilians per hour for two straight weeks, and um, a vast proportion of those were innocent children, and the rest were mostly innocent civilians. So I just saw how the powers of um, brutality and Zionism and um, oppression can really destroy this world, and I wanted to do something to fight it. Um, but since I was a little kid, Neil, I always knew that something was very wrong. And I never trusted mainstream media. When I kind of got into music, my music was Rage Against the Machine. That was the kind of stuff I listened to. I was rebellious at school. I, um, <laughs> when I was a little kid, I was shoplifting. I was really just against the system. So I think um, seeing what the Israelis were doing as well as losing my job in the economy kind of gave me the balls to do what beforehand I just didn't have the courage to do. So it, it's a very humbling thing as well because it's not like I've been I've been doing this for a long time. I should have been doing this since I was 18, but as the cookie crumbles, I've been doing it since I was 28. So 
there you go. Well, um, now I, I know basically we, we obviously something must have uh, struck you in a negative fashion. I've been studying a little bit about you know some of your videos, and I, I guess uh, would you say that you're an anarcho-primitivist? Would that be the best way to describe? Like just kind of not to be a straitjacket, but to kind of give an idea of what your beliefs are? Uh, maybe I used to fancy myself as a bit of a, a narco-primitivist, but I don't like the, the label primitivist because something which is primitive, is it's a derogatory term. It's less advanced than another. If we look at um, indigenous cultures, say, such as the Native Americans before the white man came and created the giant, the biggest holocaust ever, I would not describe those people as primitive. I would not describe my own countrymen in the Amazon living in absolute harmony with nature as primitive. Um, as it's very public, I'm changing my opinions about technology. So maybe I would just be called a kind of true philosophical and spiritual anarchist and political anarchist. I think the problem lies is when human beings try to have any power over another human being, and that can be in a relationship, in a family, in a society, in a government, in a police force, and that, that's where the problem lies. So. I, I would reject the term anarcho-primitivist because I don't see there's anything primitive about being an anarchist. Oh, no, and I didn't mean that in a derogatory term. It's just there's there's many different schools of anarchy, and I was, you know, and I, that's one of the reasons I said not as a straitjacket, you know, but I guess yeah. the, the beliefs that are generally associated with that particular school of anarchy are the ones that you favor. Would that, would that be a better way of putting it? Um, up until very recently, yes, Neil. Okay. Now, um, I guess... I understand where you're coming from with the, with the distrust of technology. Yeah, I honestly do. Uh, my personal beliefs, you know, I'm, I'm Native American. Um, I understand a lot about, you know, where you're coming from with that. I guess, it, did anybody ever explain to you, like, some of the aspects of how in the Venus Project, yeah, we want to build some cities, but we actually want the vast majority of the planet to go back to nature. Um, Jacques wants to get rid of zoos. Um, things like that, and, and replace them with just you know safe observatories where you can you can watch animals in their natural habitat rather than carting them and putting them in cages for you to see. Uh, were you familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. I um as as probably most of the listeners are aware, I spent two hours with uh, Jack and Roxanne in London, and uh, he discussed uh, with me at length uh, the ideas of how technology. And uh, whilst I was incapacitated in hospital last week for six days. I read a couple of books, and one of the books I read was Jack Fresco and Roxanne's um, The Best That Money Can't Buy, which they were nice enough to sign for me, and they gave me a copy. So I read that book, and yeah, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was very interesting, but I still have to uh, maintain my position and say that it does seem almost a kind of a, a fictional, beautiful representation of what we should be as human beings, almost a kind of um, impossible societal structure which I would love. I'd love to wake up tomorrow and have the kind of beautiful utopia of the Venus Project in the world now. And I totally see how in a well-structured world you'd have these kind of self-sufficient cities and you could go out into nature. And without money, you could go into nature whenever you wanted. Um, so, yeah, I, I am familiar with the Venus Project um, um, way of looking at things. My only criticism is, um, I'm sorry, this is a tiny criticism, which is a slightly comedy point because I think it's important to stay lighthearted. You can see uh, Jack Fresco started doing these drawings and ideas in the 70s. A lot of the houses and ships and like machines do look like George Jetson style, like 1960s representations of what the future looked like. So I think you guys should update the kind of photos. 
Well, you know, there there are generally reasons for a lot of the designs that he makes, but yeah, I know where you're coming from. I think it more had to do with, um, however, it was just, it, it, you know, I understand what you're saying about it seeming to be a really far-reaching goal, um, but even the idea of everybody just going back to nature is also, you know, would be kind of like that, too. It'd be really hard just to convince everybody to do that, and, and we recognize that. I agree, Neil. That's why I've, I've abandoned that position. I realize it was wrong, and it's it's ridiculous. And um, another book I was reading in um, hospital, um, one, of, one of my favorite sci-fi writers is a Scotsman called Ian M. Banks, and he does the Culture series, all about kind of human society set 2,000, 3,000 years in the future. And it's a massive space opera, massive galactic battles and, and um, artificial intelligence and so forth. And it, and it, it piques my interest very much. So I, um, I think there was a kind of element of me that was kind of refusing to accept my own love of technology because of what I saw humans doing with technology, much of nuclear weapons, um, vaccination depopulation programs, war machines, uh, bullets, and so forth. Yet my whole work is uh, using um, a kind of full HD, super technologically advanced Panasonic camera. I have a high-powered PC, which I need to edit, full HD footage. Um, I, I fly on airplanes to go visit my family in Brazil. I wear a wristwatch, which is, um, you know, tells me the time. I, um, I send emails. So I think there was an element of refusing to accept technology at the same time. So I, I, I see my own hypocrisy now, but everything in balance, which is kind of also a, a, another answer to the anarcho-primitivist thing. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the term would be, anarcho-modernist, kind of anarcho-harmonist? I called it a, when I was asked to describe it, if I was to name it an anarchist school, I would call it anarcho-virtualism. Um, yeah. uh, it has some things in common with cyberocracy. If you look that up on Wikipedia, it's just kind of a matter of you get rid of the majority of the things that government does that really shouldn't be done anyway, and then you automate the things that you do need done, which for the most part are not exactly, you know, they're not jobs that have, we're not, we're never talking about computers ruling over people. No computer's going to tell you who to marry. No computer's going to tell you where you can live. Um, but, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, think about the bureaucracy. I usually use this analogy. You know, you don't need a department of sewer wherein some politician has been elected through lobbyist money to ensure that his friends, you know, in the, you know, in the industrial complex get no-bid contracts to maintain the sewer system. Um, yeah. You don't need, you know, just, you just need an automated system that has sensors that tells you there's a problem with the sewer, sends out a robot to deal with the problem, and then you're done. You know, that's, it's actually about eliminating the need for a state. And um, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they have read a lot of fiction, and I, I, I'm a big fan of Terminator. I'm a big fan of Battlestar Galactica. I also, I'm also a big fan of Supernatural, you know, a TV show about demons. And, and I think yeah. that they're about, you know, they're about the same as far as reality. You know, and I'm not saying the machines couldn't be corrupted, but once again, you think about it like this. You know, that politician in charge of the Department of Sewer, he could just, he could be corrupted, and there's no way to trace it. You know, you could just make a deal with him to give him a job in your corporation when he gets out. You know, whereas with a computer system, particularly if it's designed in such a way that, you know, it's you know, very difficult to tamper with, and then if it, if it is, it's very uh the word I would use is transparent in its operation, it would be very easy to figure out, you know, what happened and much more easy to fix it than to hope that this guy that we elect every four years will realize that he needs to stop being corrupt. And, yeah. you know, and that's the kind of uh, system we're talking about here. And I generally compare it to off-the-grid living. 
on a more massive scale. Sure. Uh, particularly with libertarians, because they're usually worried about anything that takes away their money. That's how they put it. Um, we don't want to take away anything from anybody. It's a matter of surpassing it, moving past the need for it. Um, and in off-grid, off-the-grid living, you minimize the amount of involvement with the system to the, you know, to the absolute bottom. And some people can almost completely close sure. themselves off. And but I think um, a big um, criticism a lot of people have, and a lot of people I've spoken to, very close friends of mine have, um, within any automated system, we would need very intelligent computer programmers, civil engineers, architects, um, project managers. Is that in a system such as the Venus Project, Neil, who would maintain the system? Who would we trust to maintain those systems, such as the sewers, the police, the trains, the the hydroelectric plants? Who do we trust? Well, the first thing is... Um we, we tend to look at this, and some of this has to do with technocracy. The technocracy people kind of just talked about, like, rule by scientists. That's why I said cyberocracy, which is, you know, rule by computer. And once again, you know, putting up the disclaimer that when we say rule, we're talking about infrastructure stuff, not people. Um, but, what you, first of all, there doesn't need to be some elite class of engineers. Um, when education is free and is streamlined in such a way to cultivate, cultivate critical and analytical thinking, from the very youngest ages, that's the best defense against any kind of tyranny or fascist takeover. I mean, we can go into the, the fact that Hitler had bombs and Hitler had guns and Hitler had Gestapo, but the reality is it was the ignorance of the people in his country that allowed him to, to take over. It was his knowledge of psychology and sociology and the ability to manipulate that allowed him to take over. So you train people from the very beginning. Every single human being should be equipped with the tools to recognize that behavior when it's happening, you should look at it, you know, instead of just like few people like you and me, Charlie, you know, knowing that these politicians are full of it, everybody should be raised from the youngest ages to be able to recognize this system, you know, people who act like that are, are doing X, Y, or Z. Are they manipulating me this way? Are they manipulating me that way? That's the first aspect of it. The second aspect of it is once education is free to everybody, there's no reason that everybody can't be a technician if they want to be. And it, there, there is no ruling class that you have to go through any hoops for. If you want to become an engineer, you go become an engineer. If you want to look okay. at the system, you do it. Yeah. The, the reason why I used to be what could be described as an anarcho-primitivist is that I've thought a lot about kind of corruption and greed and um, the desire for power. Say we were small tribes around the world as we used to be. And I, I, you're a Native American. I'm sure you've read the history of the Native American tribes. Mm-hmm. They were constantly... Um, in conflict with one another, but these were low-level conflicts. So, say, for example, I had a tribe, or I was part of a tribe that had, say, 400 people, and the neighboring tribe came and stole 10 of our goats and five of our women and killed some of our kids. We could then go and, like, fuck their shit up as well and, like, kind of build defenses, but it would never be on a giant industrial scale of, say, Germany versus France or the U.K. or, or America, as we saw in World War II, with the giant killing fields of millions of people. So it'd be very small-level conflicts. And I've done the research into um, the myth of uh, the kind of golden state of nature, how um, man in the state of nature was very peaceful. The statistics show, the kind of evidence that we have from archaeology, is that um, in the state of nature, and with the anthropologists we've looked at in um, Amazonian tribes or tribes in Papua New Guinea, the rate of murder and killing is actually higher per capita than we have right now. So this is my big roundabout question is that in low-level conflict, it's fine. It's all to do with honor and kind of 
fight back and fight back. But within any system, unless we all are part of a giant hive mind of a, the collective board, there seems to be an aspect of human nature that will always want conflict and change. And say we, we were living in the Venus Project, how would we stop a kind of um, a primitivist cult from wanting to destroy said systems? And how would the Venus Project deal with these so-called terrorists who wanted to break away from the system or even break the system itself? I mean, would it, would it be any better than the current system we have now of laws and courts and prisons? Well, the first thing that I would point out is, um, once again, you, you get to the core. We talk about human nature. Um, the human nature aspect is that human beings will do what is necessary to survive, just as any other organism. The vast majority of the kinds of conflicts that you're talking about are almost always in some way directly started, whether people realize it or not, through scarcity. And even if that's not what you're looking at at the moment, in some cases, for example, a person will have a very dominant personality because they're trying to ensure their place. They're trying to ensure that, you know, their mate and their food and things of that nature. Even on the most simple level, people are driven by this to some extent. We're not, we're not claiming that the, the will to survive does not exist, but we are talking about the fact that statistics also show that when you're in a situation for example, where there is enough money, you have a lower crime rate. As soon as the money starts to drip out, the crime rate goes up. The aggressive behavior is generally created directly by the stress of the situation. And I see that, and I've lived in a lot of bad neighborhoods all my life, and I'm watching, for example, as the neighborhood that I'm in right now is slowly turning into the ones that I lived in when I was growing up, and I'm watching well, the, the I'll violence. Just, I'll just you for a second there. You yeah, said that, yeah, you said that... Um, kind of violence and the desire for kind of, sorry, the crime, the crime you're saying is because of scarcity and people, when the money is removed, will kind of start fighting each other. But that doesn't explain um, Israel or even the American military industrial complex. These are extremely powerful, well-off people who love to invade in countries and kill millions of people. It's, it's, a, it's a game to them. So I, I reject the idea that um, a, a plentifulness or um, abundance creates peace because the people who are at the top of our society, say the corrupt politicians and the industrialists, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, these people have everything, yet it's not enough for them. So oh, no, I, I agree. With, I, I understand where you're coming from there, and I, and I was getting to that. Um, yeah. When it comes to the people who are at the top to play these kinds of games, they're also generally conditioned to be that way from a very young age. I, I generally don't like to quote Alex Jones, but he did point out something during the conversation with Peter about how like the children of the elite tend to be raised, you know, in these schools where they're very tough on you, you know. Um, this kind of attitude kind of, it, it basically has a lot to do with certain expansionist ideals. A lot of it actually comes, ironically, from the same Ayn Rand philosophy that the liberty movement seems to think is the way to freedom. The idea that you have the right to conquer people who are less powerful than you, is it is a philosophy that I feel can be, um, it, you know, can be overtaken, particularly since the people who are making those sorts of things happen are actually a tiny minority. Um, when you study things like The Century of Self, Cywar, the different movies that talk about propaganda, virtually all of the things that, you know, that cause us, for example, to be willing to accept uh, things like military actions are, are basically are engineered. Um, for the very youngest ages, the idea, you know, like they call it, you know, techno-fetishism, you know, the way that the, you know, Militainment Incorporated, actually, I had that filmmaker on my show once, and he was talking about that, how they basically... Yeah, Militainment. Yes, Militainment. Um, he was, he made a film about uh, how they, basically, uh, the propaganda in the media, they turn it into something that's entertaining so that everybody goes along with it. Um, 
and they, these are all these are all once again directly linked to the monetary system. There's profit in being part of the military industrial complex. Um, there's huge profit, and I still believe that um, you know. Do I think that it'll take some time to wear people like that down? Sure, but there was a time when the elites were getting away with you know um, owning black people in the United States. You know, it took some time, but it was eventually overcome. I'm not saying that it's all just going to be a snap your fingers kind of thing, but we there are a lot more of us than there are of them in the yeah. long run. Um, yeah. and, I was, um, go ahead. When I was chatting to Jack Fresco in my two hours with him and uh, Roxanne, he, um, we kind of came to a kind of agreement that uh, the Venus Project would only be capable, and this is, um, I'm quoting Jack Fresco now, he said, he agreed with me. He said, um, yeah, the, the Venus Project is only possible after the collapse of civilization. So where I think um, groups like, uh, well, I'm not even a group, I'm just one guy, but uh, the Love Police or We Are Change, um, um, say the Love Police and We Are Change, we're looking almost to collapse the system. And uh, would you agree that the Venus Project, as Jack says, is only possible once this system has collapsed? Or do you think that it's possible to kind of have a transition peacefully through our society through the Venus Project. Jacques's feelings about the collapse have to do with the fact that every major time that we have ever had an opportunity that wherein a new social system was tried tends to happen when things are falling apart. Um, I, on the recent show that I had with Jacques and Roxanne, they said, for example, that Greece was one of the countries where they got the most attention, um, where they basically got, you know, and not just from the common people, but from scientists, you know, people like that who really wanted to hear what was going on, and that's because Greece is on its way down. Um, yeah. Now, from one of my listeners, uh, people at the top are addicted to power control, dopamine release craving. That is their reinforced religion as dictated by their social influence. That kind of goes back into what I was saying earlier about how, you know, they, we teach these, you know, these kids, these elites to grow up, and they end up in groups like Skull and Bones, and, you know, there's certain schools that you go to if you're going to be a president. There's you know, they, they, there's a whole freaking religion to that aspect of things, that whole attitude that people have the right to take things. Um, so I just wanted to drop that in here. Um, it was a good point. Now, um, to go back to what we were talking about, though, um, basically um, we, we've gone over the, the nature issue, we've gone over the technology issue, and the, the fact that these elites are, you know, basically they seem to crave the power a lot of the need to, like, for example, the hoarding instinct um, is another reaction to scarcity. The need to have way more than you could ever use, which is something that Native Americans, for example, would say that, that confused them about white men who came over here, was that, you know, and um, was that they wanted to own things that to, to the Native Americans was kind of confusing. It's like, why do you want to own land? You just use it if you need it, and then when you're done with it, move away. These, those are all values that are taught to people, and to the Native Americans, it was it was alien. That's one of the reasons why we say that it takes more than just building a city. You, you have to uh, change the value structure of the people therein, and that's why it has to be a social movement before we run around building things, because we can have the greatest technology in the world, and we do believe that the technology will, in fact, seriously impact the behavior, but that's not enough on its own. Um, and we can do that. I mean, that's what activists do. We slowly change the way things are in, all over the world. You know, uh, I mean, women are not our personal property, and they get to vote. You know, and I, I use the black people example in the United States. You know, the idea now that you would they, that they'd have to sit in the back of the bus is totally preposterous. And there was a time when they were having the same kind of conversations about those things 
that you and I are having about how that the, we could never possibly achieve what we're doing here, you know, like what we want to do here. You know, they were saying, well, you know, this is just the way it is. Black people are always going to be treated differently. You know, um, women are always going to be second-class citizens. It's just that's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. You know, and that that's basically the, the goal that you have to have is to kind of, you know, talk to people about these things. Most intelligent people that we talk to about these ideas get the concept. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that was the other thing I think is one of the things about the approach here and one of the reasons I suggest off-the-grid living as a first stage is because people look at what Jacques is doing and a lot of his drawings, for example, would probably be like final phases. That's the goal. It's not necessarily that we're expecting to just turn that, like flip a switch and turn all of that on tomorrow. You know, the infrastructure required for the maglev trains, all the other things that would be necessary would be huge. But the, that's why we're at this stage kind of focusing on trying to get people to question their values, just like you guys do in the Love Police. You know, um, one of my favorite, uh, actually, videos is when, I, I believe it was one of you guys, is the, you know, the, the bullhorn and you're shouting, you know, go back to your jobs. What you need to do is buy things that you don't need. You know, yeah. all of those things that Edward Bernays, Helped us, you know, help brainwash us, you know, to to think, um, yeah. and and people know that when you when you poke at when you poke at them like that, they do, um, and it's it's slowly becoming more and more apparent as these systems collapse. And that's why Jacques says that he thinks that it's going to be a collapse to make the kind of massive changes. Is because we've seen it. That's when people start to get interested. Now, mind you, it doesn't mean that the collapse is going to give us the kind of system we want. We have to be careful about that. So we're trying to get these ideas into as many people's heads as possible so that when the time comes and they want to try something different, they get something else. I mean, when you take an example, the Russian Revolution brought on communism. The Bolsheviks uh, did a terrible job of implementing what Marx wanted. Um, it ended up becoming a fascist regime that was pretending to be communism. Um, and you ended up with the nomenclature, you know, the, the basically the, the, the pigs that, you know, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. You know, but it happened after a major collapse, some kind of calamity. French Revolution, um, you know, colonial revolution as far as, you know, the American colonies. Uh, the, I mean, in some ways you could also say, for example, uh, the reason that everybody was willing to listen to Hitler was because Germany was in a state of collapse. Um, okay, it's good that we, we raise upon history. Neil, why do you feel that um, ideas such as uh, the, the Venus Project or the Zeitgeist Movement have never been implemented successfully throughout history? Because as, as you mentioned, people have tried, there's been revolutions, but there seems to be something inherent to human nature which prevents uh, such, um, I'm sorry for using the word, such utopias from coming into play. So why is the Venus Project and Zeitgeist so confident that now we can do it? Every one of those uh, ty those examples that I gave actually relied on manipulating people in their ignorance to achieve their goals. We actually want to open people's minds and teach them to be able to recognize when they're being manipulated by an elite. Um, that's one of the critical portions, okay? And the Bolsheviks take over of Russia, you know, they became the Soviet Union. You know, they were banking on people being stupid. Um, Hitler was yeah, the they, same they, they had all the promises of a fair society, of brotherhood, of everyone chipping in, of um, the release from the bourgeois class, which is um, the kind of same sort of things I'm hearing from uh, from uh, the Venus Project and Zeitgeist. So how can we, we knowing what human nature is like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fair to say we can change education and start at the grassroots and slowly move towards this, but... Um, in, in total opposition to what um, is what's his name Ray Kurzweil, the guy who talks about the kind of singularity. 
Um, I, 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 um, I'm, I'm very scared of Ray Kurzweil and his uh, transhumanist vision of the future because I, I see human beings as um, free-spirited beings, and there, there is something inherent to us which will always have conflict and new ideas. So this is why I think so many people, including myself, until very recently, were very scared of the Venus Project or the um, Zeitgeist Movement. I mean, my, my own quote, which I did on Facebook status, which prompted my apology to Peter Joseph, because I believe I was being unfair to your organization. Mm-hmm. But why, why do you feel so many people, including myself until recently, had um, have a, a kind of worry that uh, the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist Movement is just yet another kind of um, fascist, controlling, um, utopian vision of the future? Well, um, generally, there's an association that goes along with these things. For example, um, you can't even say the word socialism without getting a knee-jerk reaction out of certain people. Um, I've met some socialists that I don't actually think are very bad people at all. Um, I don't agree with everything they're doing, but they're certainly not what you've seen out of socialism and communism in the world. Um, They point out that a lot of these things that people understood to be what they're doing you know, we're never actually what was intended at all. It's not just a matter of people were lied to. It's a matter of it wasn't even properly implemented in the first place. Now, as when it comes to the, the issue of what we're doing differently, a lot of it has to do with the fact that there was never a scientific systems approach in, in any of those systems. A lot of them kind of depended on the same infrastructure that the capitalist system works on and then just kind of expected everybody to work and expected everybody to get along. And, and there's not enough of that. That's not enough to expect any real social change. I have the same problems with an awful lot of with, with an awful lot of anarchist schools, particularly the anarcho-capitalist school. That's the one that terrifies the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, the, the notion that well, I mean, it's just it just sounds like it would turn into a like you know a, a corporatist. I mean, even if there were no corporations, corporate personhood, or whatever they want to remove. At that point, it's fascism to the highest bidder. I just buy it, and then I own the media, and you think you're free the whole time, and you don't. There's always going to be some inherent flaws, and that's one of the reasons why Jacques said it's not a utopia. It's not perfect. It's just better than what we have now. You take an approach, um, taking into like when we talk about prison lists, for example, um, rather than relying on laws, essentially the rule of law, which is completely dependent upon punishment and therefore a state for it to function, you have to look into the causes, inherent causes of certain behaviors and then overcome them through environmental controls. And I don't mean control in a harsh fashion. I mean, if people are getting violent because there's not enough food in an area, put more food in the area. Don't send in more police officers and expect everybody to, to bow in line and expect that to go well. It's, it's not going to yeah. go well. You know, yeah. poverty is the reason for these things, then treat the poverty. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's an example of one of the aspects that's very different. You know, in... In a Soviet system in particular, if you riot, they're just going to go in and shoot you all. You know, China proved that, you know, in Tiananmen Square. You know, and, and that's, those are all things that not only, this is the funny thing, it's not just about it being immoral to be coercive and tyrannical. It is proven to be ineffective. It doesn't work. You know, if you really want to affect social change, putting a gun in somebody's face will get you temporary results, but if, if you keep doing it, in fact, you're going to get the opposite effect. It's how these revolutions happen. I have to um, I have to disagree with you there as well, and I'm glad you raised um, Tiananmen Square in 1989. What I I saw there was the Chinese people losing their balls, and they kind of made a Faustian pact with the government, 
Um, the government said, look, we'll give you wild economic growth. We'll give you, we'll turn you all into the middle class. Just give away your freedom. Give away your liberty. And you said that fascist um, control with a gun in the back of your head doesn't work. But it seems to work very well in China. They've had a 10% per year economic growth for the last 10 years. Their economy is very fast approaching the size of the American economy. They have the greatest industry, and I say greatest in, in horror, because it's a horrible thing. The greatest industries, the, the 10, sorry, probably the 50 most polluted cities in the world are in China. And they seem to really hold that society together really, really well, treating the people like a hive, like a bunch of ants. And, um, and like, look at the, what I would term as the, the New World Order, which I have no worry in talking about because many academics talk about the New World Order, historians talk about the New World Order, H.G. Wells talks about the New World Order, um, Carol Quigley, who's the historian for the elites, very happily talks about the New World Order. And uh, my girlfriend's at Cambridge University, and just in the library, she did a search on the computer for New World Order, and 500 books came up by very, very powerful academics talking about the New World Order. And um, if, if there's ever been a very tightly knit, um, fully powerful group in the world just now, it would be what I would term the the kind of the, the kind of world of the international bankers uh, dehumanizing the planet. And I think the reason why groups such as Venus Project or We Are Change or Alex Jones or whatever, the Love Police, sprout is because we are the, the resistance to what we see as this terrible machine which has been very successful in destroying humanity. So um, another question I have to you, Neil, um, and to the Venus Project is, is that uh, do you guys believe that evil exists? Or is it merely a maladjustment, a, a malformation of the human spirit because of, a, of an imperfect system? Well, first of all, let me make a comment on China because I actually have some friends who live in China. Um, one of them yeah. actually just posted in the chat room about it, that he's in China and he's watching that, yeah, they're doing really great like net right now, but like any car that you drive really fast for a really long time, the cracks in the system start to show. Um, I think that China will be able to do really well for a while, but I'm also watching there are cultural changes that are going on over there. Um, for example, uh, one of my friends is a teacher over there, and he talked about how the materialism is starting to take hold in China. Uh, they're really, you know, they're, they're really starting to want all of the things that you know that they used to make fun of the people in the West for wanting. Uh, fashion, things like that, are starting to take hold. I mean, I think they'll do okay for a while, but I, I don't believe that any of these systems is really ever going to hold out in the long run. The monarchies, I feel, kind of prove that. You can have absolute authority for a certain amount of time. It's not going to last. That's the sure. right sentence. The, uh, the British monarchy has held power um, by a stranglehold in, um, in the world. And I, I say the world because um, if you look at the American Revolution, that, from what I've read in history, that was fully organized and orchestrated by the kind of monarchy groups in Britain. And in Britain, we are still a monarchy. We have, um, at the moment, a very large empire called the Commonwealth, and Britain is doing well um, economically. So how, how come, like, it's lasted for a thousand years. Like, it's truly what Hitler called the thousand-year Reich. We have that in Britain. So um, I reject the notion that these kind of horrible groups can't hold on to power because the British monarchy has held on to power and imposed a social class system on the world for the last 1,000 years. Well, hasn't it also uh, endured an awful lot of changes? I mean, you, you basically, at least at this point anyway, um, I mean, it, it seems to be moving in that direction. But, you know, uh, the queen can't just walk up and say off with his head to somebody anymore. Um, yes, she, she uses Mossad and MI6 to have people assassinated. It's just done unofficially. Oh, okay. Well, no, I, 
fair enough. I, I will offer the possibility that that is true, I, you know, for sure. Um, but overall, at least as far as explaining where I was coming from, as far as to why we don't even think that that's a good means to go about anything, is that if you're trying to achieve social change and, you know, get people into a certain ideology that's better for everybody, including themselves as individuals, beating them up is not going to achieve that end. Um, no, but only justice can bring peace, I believe. And uh, if we can actually identify the, the individuals who are destroying the planet um, spiritually, then I think that there, there does need to be some sort of justice which is brought back onto them. Otherwise, we live in a totally unfair world. If I go out and... Uh, punch a, a child across the face and break its nose, I'll spend time in jail. Yet, if I send um, 500,000 young men to go and decimate Iraq, I get a giant pension and live in absolute luxury. And this is what I think drives people to insanity, is the lack of justice. So what I said um, earlier, my question to the Venus Project is, do you guys believe... And I, I know it's a slightly... Oh, right, you're about the evil thing. Um, yes, does evil exist? Well, first of all, let me say that... Uh, before we get odd to evil, because we'll, I'll absolutely do that. Um, the first thing I would point out is that when it comes to justice, and I tell libertarians this, and they're slowly starting to hear me, rather than trying to, I mean, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't make attempts to fix the system. The reason, that one of the reasons I tell people that real freedom is to get out of the system and to empower yourselves technologically and not need it anymore is a better solution in the long run. If you want to get justice for these people, stop Stop using them. Stop needing them. Stop participating in what it is that they're doing as much as you possibly can get away with. Um, and that is at least the first step that I would that I would take. In the meantime, you start educating other people that there really is no reason why they need to be enslaved to their job. There really is no reason why they need to be paying an electric bill. There really is no reason they need to be polluting the earth. Most people are totally ignorant of that. They have no idea. Um, I, uh, and uh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, just a very quick tangent. Uh, you just reminded me of a cartoon I saw. Have you seen the film Fight Club with Tyler Durden? Yes. There's this uh, meme on this uh, image board called 4chan, and it's like, oh, like what Tyler Durden would do. And one of the things Tyler Durden would do, he would infect all the world leaders with AIDS, and he says it would be a cure within a week. <laughs> I actually really like that. That's really funny. Um, well... <laughs> I, I, you know, it's an interesting point, because, and Peter talks about that all the time, is that, uh, you know, if there isn't already a cure, you know, along the same lines, because curing diseases is not profitable. Treating diseases is very profitable. Hell yeah. Okay, and that, that's why we think the profit motive is generally at the heart of all of our problems. Um, yeah. So, uh, now, to, to get on to evil, um, the existence of evil. Do I believe, you know, because I use the word evil sometimes to describe certain behavior, Okay. But I use yeah. it as a term. Like, for example, I think Monsanto Corporation, anybody who could go to sleep at night working for that company, knowing what it is that they do, is not, in my opinion, a good person. I would then go so far as to say some of them are evil, or at least some in some way gripped by evil. Like, if you've watched uh, uh, Michael Moore's documentary, um, he talks to that guy who's in charge of Nike. The other guy seems like he's a nice person, and he's honestly convinced himself that you know, the people that he put out of work in Michigan don't want to make shoes. You know, he really seems like he believes it. You know, um, it's it's worse, actually, than somebody callously, you know, with his evil, you know, Darth Vader voice, you know, saying, and then we will put them out of work. It's it's worse than that. He's brainwashed himself into thinking that everything he's doing is totally acceptable. You know, um, and as far as, as far as it being a matter of dysfunction and things of that nature, do I apply... 
in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of this um, because it actually comes from a spiritual source, ironically. I talked to him. Um, he was actually a rabbi, ironically, um, and one of, the, one of the things that is not well known about the Judaic religion is that they don't actually have a Satan in the sense that most religions do. Um, and one of the things he said is that, you know, we have this tendency to blame everything that we're doing on this uh, evil entity. He said, mankind doesn't need a Satan to do bad things. It's doing a good job on on its own. Um, and essentially to say, when we use a word like evil that has supernatural connotations to it, then that kind of gets man off the hook. It allows them to say things like, oh, well, he was evil. No, he wasn't evil. What created him? What made him? Behind every villain, there's a story. You know, um, even the people who write stories know that. I mean, like, let's take comic books, Mr. Freeze. Uh, why is he a villain? He's a villain because somebody killed his wife or basically he can't get the materials necessary to research, to, you know, to save his wife's life. You know, that's what made him who he is. To, to just say that somebody is evil inherently is, is not only missing the point, but it, it isn't even productive. You know, that's why Jacques uses the example of the, the child molester killer person that, um, that existed in his time. Uh, he was mutilating the genitalia of children and they wanted to just fry him, and of course he needs to be you know, dealt with so he's not hurting anybody. But a psychologist said, no, let me study him. I want to understand what made him. And so um, he, they went into this guy's past, and it turns out that at one point his mother caught him masturbating and told him that he was going to go to a fiery, evil place for doing that and never to do it again. So she got up in the middle of the night, heard him screaming, to come into his room to find out that he was, you know, basically mutilating his penis so that he would never touch himself again. And that when he was yeah. going around doing this to all these children, he was doing it because he thought he was saving their souls. Was he right? Absolutely not. But that's an example of where evil comes from. It, it's, it's not just a matter of saying, well, we don't believe in evil, it, for that to be some kind of, um, it's not a free ride by any means. It means that rather than trying to treat these kinds of negative behaviors it's just evil is, is not enough. If you want to get to the source of why people are committing crimes, that's where the real problems lie. It's like the thing with Israel. You know, we can certainly, um, we can certainly say that we don't agree with the policies, absolutely, but there have been policies like that all over the world. What's the general cause behind all of them? Who's making the money? That's what I want to know. Who's making the money in that situation? Because almost never do we ever end up going to war where some idiot or another is not making vast quantities of money. So who's making money in Israel? That's an example of rather than, you know, okay, so now it's Israel's turn to, to be blowing somebody up and to be callous and evil. You know, it, you know, whose turn is it next? It, the whole world does it, and that does not get Israel off the hook. That, that's not what this is about. The issue is, however, what's causing it? What's the root cause? Who's manipulating it from behind the scenes? Who's convincing these Israelis that what they're doing is justified in the same way that, you know, I'm sure you've listened to the the trials of the various Nazis, you know, they're like, I was told it was fine. I was doing what I was told. Who's doing that? Who's pulling the strings? And when you, and when you peel away the layers, you almost always come back to money and the idea that people should ever have money or more specifically that they should exchange in that fashion and be able to be in a position where they can have vast quantities of resources while most people have nothing. That's the mentality that seems to link all of these things together. It's also the, basically the mentality that destroys all of the isms, capitalism, socialism, communism. Anytime you have that exchange, they always come back to that same thing where a few people have played it and a few people have won and, a, and, and then the rest of everybody else is lost. 
It's just like uh, in one of the rants, actually, I, I can't remember the gentleman's name. He's, ironically, he's a minister, and he talks about him playing, you know, Monopoly with his grandmother. But something that somebody pointed out is that it, it always ends up like that. Yeah, you're all playing the game. You start the game with the same amount of money. But by the, by the time the game is over in Monopoly, somebody's got all the money and everybody else is out. You know, yeah. that's, that's what I'm trying to say is that if, if you – it's one of the reasons, like, for example, when you talk to Jacques, you'll think he's going on all these tangents – I find myself doing it sometimes, and it's because you, after you've answered these questions so many times, it's like throwing a boomerang around to come back to the person's point. But if I don't make these kinds of, you know, other tangents, you're just going to ask about them in the next three seconds anyway. That's sure. <laughs> that's been yeah. my experience of talking about this stuff. But no, I agree. Um, I think um, like we can we can both. Uh, there's an old uh, cliche: money is the root of all evil. And uh, you know, I, I agree to a certain extent that desire for more power and control. But it, it seems that, you know, I think another criticism people have of the Venus Project or Zeitgeist is that uh, within any system, like look at our system now, we have so many good, amazing people who are very intelligent, who can become very rich and powerful, who choose to help their fellow man. And I'd say 90% of people couldn't give a, a damn about power and control. And, and they still live in a system which promotes power, control, and psychopathy. So it seems like any system, including the Venus Project, uh, will have people who are psychopaths no matter what. Because for us to say that um, kind of uh, scarcity and growing up in poverty creates evil, I think does a massive disservice to all those um, really poor people who grow up to be extremely nice. And uh, in Brazil, for example, where I, where I was born, uh, it's one of the most racist, uh, unequal countries in the world with a kind of very white uh, European upper class and a kind of massive uh, brown underclass, um, so many people from, from, from the giant um, proletariat are such loving, amazing, beautiful, friendly people, yet they live in an unfair uh, capitalist and corporatist, cartelist uh, system. So um, I'm not sure, um, Neil, that it's actually the system we need to change. It might just be something about human beings. And this is why I think so many people are skeptical of uh, something like the Zeitgeist Movement or Venus, because who would we trust? To, to organize any big global system. And within the truth movement, part of our thing, part of my thing, is I believe globalism goes against the very fabric, the very fractal fabric of nature, which wants more complication, more individuality, more specialization, because that's what nature does. In, in any fractal mathematic model, it becomes more infinite, more fractally diverse, more complicated on every single level. But to bring it together under one giant collectivist global uh, unity, like um, what... Um, that doctor, what's his name, that Japanese-American guy, he talks about going from a type zero civilization to a type one civilization where you come together as a planet. I, I'm very scared of that because um, when you have centralization of power, you've also got the centralization of potential evil, and it only takes one decision to go down the hierarchy pyramid, and then we're all fucked. And so within um, a kind of, a, kind of well-run, uh, technologically advanced society such as the the Venus Project, how would we ever stop a psychopath um, for his own shits and giggles, for his own fun, taking charge of, um, say, crop cultivation in East Asia and then suddenly starving one billion people overnight? Um, first of all, Charles, I absolutely want to answer your question, and I think this conversation is going great places. Do you mind if I extend the show length? Go on. Why not? Okay. <laughs> Um, to those of all of you listening, I, our calling switchboard is freaking full of callers. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring one on just so that they can talk to you while I get this show extended. It won't take very long. Um, and uh, go ahead, a caller from 
You're to identify it as X O M O X N Y C. Are you there? Are you on the air? Yeah. That's me. Hi, Eric. Hey. Did you do you have something you wanted to say? Um, no, it was good. It's it, it's funny things came. I just I just was um if you had anything about sh- Shanghai and or China. It's yeah, it's it's not as good as I put it in the message board. Um, the media plays two two kind of roles. Western media plays two roles regarding China, from what I see. One is to make the general public kind of fear, you know, to perpetuate the fear of, you know, so-called communist China, um, to perpetuate that, you know, East-West old Cold War thing. And on the other hand, then you have the business media, which really talks up China. You know, it's great. The market's great. It's one of the best, blah, 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 blah. Um, Really, the truth is China is just as much a bubble, part of this this whole thing, this whole monetary market system. And it's not as good as as one would think here. The only thing that's really holding it together is there is still part of the globalization, the U.S. market, buying their products, but that's taken a huge cut. The real estate market here cannot go any higher. It's going to come crashing down. I mean, it's just, it's impossible for anybody to buy a house now, you know, a working person. Yeah. Um, that's the reality. It's it's impossible to buy a house here. Now, the um, question is, um, to go along with that, uh do you foresee the possibility of a collapse in China? Oh, yeah. Uh, the real estate bubble, is its just, just like it happened in 2008 in the U.S., it's, it's going to happen here, I would say, in the next... It, it has to happen. It's just its the same model the U.S. followed. You know, there's nothing different about China. And, and I, I hate to say it, but, e- you know, even in places like America and the U.K. is more communist or good parts of socialist than China ever was. You know, they had, you know, we having some sort of social welfare, these kind of things. China has never had those things. And obviously they're not going to go, go that way. Eric, um, I've got a question for you. Um, you know what happened in Tiananmen Square in 1989? Um, I try yeah, to imagine exactly uh, what, what, what... Hello? Go ahead, Sean. Sorry, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Eric, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Eric, are you still there? Oh, okay, well, go ahead and... What were you trying to say, Eric? When the two of you talked over each other, it, it got cloudy. No, he has a question. Go ahead. Yes, I do. Yes, Eric. Um, I try and imagine um, what would be the people's reaction if um, the American authorities did a military crackdown in uh, Washington, D.C., where they machined on the thousand people. I could see the American militias overthrowing the federal government and, uh, almost within a couple of months. I wouldn't even say it's specifically just Chinese. I would also add the Japanese and, and Korea. I would add Northeast Asian culture. There's a lot of similarities that, um, yeah. How do I say it? To answer your question, I would say yes. Uh, like, Jackie, what was his name? Jackie Chan was last year. He said something that caused a lot of controversy. 
and he said something to the effect of Chinese people need to be controlled or like to be controlled. And it, it sounds terrible, but in many ways he, he's correct. Um, there's in, in East Asia, you, it, it's very hard to find anything sort of, I don't know what we could call like the cowboy, um, you know, rebel without a cause, um, any rebellious attitude in the culture at all. I mean, you, you can see it for anybody that lives in this, the major cities in Western society. Just, I mean, look, look at Chinatown or Little Korea. and just, you, There's a huge difference between the... Uh, how to, Yeah, uh, basically, yeah, it's very obedient from uh, 100%. And, you know, this makes me very sad as well, Eric, because I'm living in Cambridge now, which is um, the top university in Europe, if not the world. And Cambridge University seems to be about 15 to 20 percent Chinese, because obviously the Chinese middle classes, there's hundreds of millions of them. They can afford to send their children to Cambridge. And it makes me so sad because I see these very I don't want to delve into the. I'm not going to generalize about ethnicities here, but I see very timid groups of Chinese people getting this incredibly powerful education, and it makes me so sad that most of them will go back to China and just plug straight back into the Chinese matrix and use their great education to maintain their fascist regime there. I don't see any revolutionary fervor in these people. No, there's not. My biggest question, this is what I always say about, you know, where is the Gandhi of East Asia? Where is the Che Guevara? Where is the Martin Luther King? Where is the... Um, Mother Teresa, I mean, whether you like them or not, but where are these people in East Asian culture? They don't have them. Can, you know, can anyone uh, out there name one person of East Asian ethnicity that has had an impact on the world like that? No. Well, there's a reason for that. And it, 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 Charlie, don't worry about generalization. I mean, <laughs> um,. I think we all know you're not racist. I, I, you know, I think liberals tend to be the most racist people on, on the earth. They're the ones that perpetuate the the myth of it. But anyway, and, um, that's about, uh, just, I'll let you guys get back to your thing. I just wanted to say hey, and uh, Charlie, I'll see hey. you. Uh, we'll have our show on Sunday. Thank you. Glad to all right, doing your own show. Yeah. For the record, everybody, uh, that caller is the friend in China I was talking about. <laughs> Thanks Hello, for everyone. Laters. Yep. All right. Um, now, actually, uh, another listener then said um, uh, to remind you that the majority of societies in history lived in collectives. The transformation is gradual, and police laws will endure but be diminished over time. And the centralization of a global economy is demanded by the ecological environment. This isn't just an idea, it is what the physical world demands for optimized survival, survival of the species. We will die via the environment, pollution, depletion, before we do at the hands of any dictator, if this system continues. That's the concept behind the, the ecological collapse that is an issue unto itself, um, separate of any um, economical collapse. Um, I'm, I'm sure you might be familiar with, uh, for example, Annie Leonard and her... Um, story of stuff. Are you familiar with that video? Yes, I am, yeah. Right. Um, and when we say one world, and I understand why that, that causes knee-jerk reactions. I used to work with, for example, Senator 
Mike Gravel. Are you familiar with him? Nope. Kind of a fiery old man. Um, he thought of filibuster to end the draft, and he also uh, uh, read the Pentagon Papers into the public record so that everybody would know what the government – it was kind of a wiki, like a WikiLeaks thing back in the 60s that really – uh, made the government look bad for Vietnam. In any case, uh, uh, one of the things that he brought up um, fractional reserve debt, I'm sorry about that. Fractional reserve debt, um, inflation collapse, rise in the psychiatric disorders, every life support system is in decline, will only get worse. Um, Essentially, that the planet is only going to be able to put up with us for so long. And, I've, and I know what you mean about the, the globalist thing, because um, when I was working with him, he would sometimes talk about things, you know, from the perspective of what's good for the planet. And it would cause libertarians in particular to seriously knee-jerk, just like, oh, my God, he said the word global. Um, and I understand where they're coming from. But essentially, you know, when we say things like we want world peace, we're, we're at that point essentially asking for globalist peace. Um, we, we have to remember not to allow ourselves to be scared of terms. And I get it. When people say globalist, they're generally referring to, you know, the Bilderbergers and things of that nature. I don't like those people either. And I certainly don't want some small little group of elites running the planet, but they're already kind of doing that through the capitalist system now. You know, um, the difference is, is that we are once again able to be distracted enough, you know, uh, to not realize that it's already happening. That's why it's actually more insidious to me. But when it comes to centralization, though, that's another thing, is that these kinds of centralized systems within the Venus Project will be redundant. You know, if something is happening to the central computer, there's no reason why your city system or even your, like, you know, for example, if you wish to live on your own, nobody's going to stop you, cannot just de detach itself from the centralized system until the problem is dealt with. Um, all these kinds of typical fail-states that you have in anything would exist. Um, a lot of, I mean, you can put in these kinds of physical fail-safes, but I keep coming back to the fact that when the value system is changed, the motivation to do things like that kind of goes away with it. Um, and when it doesn't, when you, have an inf when you have a populace of people who are very educated, very aware of what's going on, who are not constantly distracted by bread and circuses, I'm sure you recognize the analogy from the way that the Romans kept their people in line, um, yep. you're going to have a very different world. You know, and some guy getting up on a soapbox and talking about how you should surrender your power to him, we want to have a world where every single citizen looks at him and goes, what? <laughs> Are you serious? Sorry, buddy. We've seen history. It was evil. Have a nice day. You know, that's, that's going to be the end of it. Um, do you understand what I'm, where I'm coming from? Yes, I do, absolutely. But uh, I am... I, um... Coming back to what you said about one world, the, um, the Chinese um, kind of catchphrase for the Olympics in Beijing a couple of years ago, or however long ago it was, um, it was uh, one world, one China. And from the reading I've done in terms of the UN and what you mentioned, the Bilderberg and Zygmunt Brzezinski, they call China and the way China has organized society in, in their post-democratic, well, they're never democratic, but what, what they talk about the post-democratic world, and they say that China is a blueprint. And so many... Um, kind of globalists and uh, people in the, the Obama administration, I can see them masturbating furiously at, wow, one-child policy, total control, totalitarianism, and they blow their evil fascist load all over themselves. And it's just, I, I hate terms such as one world or globalization because I, 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 there's a book by a guy called Martin Wolf, who's a kind of insider in the kind of trilateral commission, and he talks about how 
globalization works. So you just have to go to a country like China or Brazil or Africa. And Africa is not a country, it's a continent. But globalization does not work. We've had um, the West and America, uh, they, they kind of um, grew massively powerful in protectionist policies. And when they got super powerful, suddenly they don't want other countries, like little countries in Africa or Asia or Brazil or Argentina to have protection. It's like, no, free market economy so that the big corporations can go in there and just sweep it all away. So um, coming back to the kind of um, computers and like centralized computer and like small computers in different countries, we have the technology now from uh, the kind of books I've read. We've had the technology to feed and clothe and educate and treat everyone beautifully for the last 100 years. But I, um, I, 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 on a spiritual level, Neil, I think evil does exist. I think we are manifest in the 3D physical world. I think we are nothing but the kind of 3D representation of consciousness or infinite energy or infinite possibility. And evil exists in order for us to kind of grow. Um, we are playing a video game of freedom. And our job is to fight and oppose and destroy evil wherever it may rear its ugly head because it is not taking a day off trying to destroy us. So um, I, I try and remain very kind of optimistic and lighthearted about these things because um, I have a very spiritual views about the nature of reality itself. I'm not convinced that this isn't all a giant digital hologram and we're all just um, kind of computerized players in the game trying to learn, trying to understand what freedom is. And there's something that resonates in my heart very strongly that the whole video game we're playing is 100% about freedom, autonomy, individualism, anarchism. And I think there's something inherent in my heart which hates the term globalization or global governance or global economy and um i um I, I i can see how you know groups which are opposed to the venus project can become peaceful with the venus project but it will have to be a very tentative uh, relationship in the future because people want to live like crazies they want to smoke weed they want to have sex they want to travel the world they might want to have giant big bonfires and kind of praise to the goddess they might not want to live in these um, technologically advanced cities. And a lot of people that I speak to take massive offense with uh, what you guys call a resource-based economy, as if planet Earth, Gaia, the, the goddess herself, is a resource to be used as, a, as a, an economical unit, as if people are to be plugged in. And um, also, a, a lot of people in the Lightgeist Movement, Venus Project, they talk to me about um, Ray Kurtzbow, the kind of singularity guy in transhumanism. But I just see transhumanism as one way for evil and inequality to creep into the human body. Let me um, let me let me first of all point out. Um, okay, you, you said about the resource-based economy and the idea that the world is a resource. You know, and okay, and and obviously there's there's a religious issue there um, yeah. when you when you refer to Gaia as as your mother. Um, you know, the Native Americans did the same thing, right? Basically. Um, now, I want you to also understand that um, because I'm not an atheist, I'm an agnostic-leaning atheist. Um, yep. I believe that it's logical that we should be taking care of the planet, even even aside from that. And it doesn't. I'm not taking away from your point. If you believe that, that's and that leads you to a good conclusion, then that's fine. But even without any religious understanding, um, Jacques actually believes that the planet needs to be cultivated as, as you know, and as a not just as a resource, and just as this is where we live. Um, that these these things are not you know even just even without any kind of religious basis of it, it makes perfect sense to take absolute care of the planet you're living on. You know, it's just like the, the starship Earth thing that I've heard people use as an example 
you know, if, if you're in a starship, you're not going to run around, um, you know, dumping oil into the water supply of your starship. You're not going to, uh, you know, de destroy the, the filtration systems for your air. That's just ridiculous. And unfortunately, um, the, in order to get, you know, essentially people to recognize, okay, that what's going on here that's bad that we're doing on Earth, okay, some people respond better to the logical points than they do to the philosophical or to the religious points. And so yeah. that's why, you know, for example, I tell people, you know, um, there are some people who would probably be better ambassadors than others. You have a value system that unfortunately the rest of the world doesn't, doesn't share. If I want to change the average capitalist into thinking that the earth needs to be protected, um, many of those people obviously are not really a very religious upbringing, or so they wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now. That's one of the things I did, I did agree with the, the, the theocrat Chuck Baldwin from the Constitution Party. As he pointed out that a lot of the things that you're seeing that are going wrong in capitalism right now are because the, the Christian values are devolving. Um, I don't think that we need Christian values to do that, but he was right. People had a value system that was reinforced by the notion that the greedy go to hell, and we don't really have that anymore. As religion starts to fade away, they have no reason to, to worry about that. That's why you need to explain to these people in a logical standpoint that belief in God or belief in any one religion should be irrelevant as compared to the fact that we all live on the same planet. Um, and that's the funny thing. Is like if you've ever heard Jock talk about the planet he, you know, and, and talk about the holistic way that he wants to go about things, he doesn't consider the planet sacred, but he does consider it extremely important. <laughs> You don't have to believe it's divine to understand its value. That's one of the reasons why he said we should just let everything that we're not using go back to nature. We should stop this ridiculous expansion that's destroying the planet we live on. We don't need, um, you know, aside from any religious beliefs, you could be a Buddhist, you could be a Wiccan, you could be a Druid, I don't care. You still live on this planet. Um, now, in addition to that, uh, Doug Millette, who's uh, generally a guy who's on my show quite a bit, he's in the chat room, and he pointed out, you know, that it, it's, it's not about, it, even if you're a peaceful movement, let, let me ask you this, okay? Charlie, if, if we could tomorrow change everybody's mind to believe in these values that you and I hold in common, the ones that we do, does that make us evil globalists? Or does that make us people who have a goal to try to get the world to realize the people of the planet, that we all are one species, not one nation under some you know, big evil group, because that's not good for the whole of the species either, okay? Well, yeah, the question, okay, I'll answer it. To change everyone's mind overnight, would, I would call that psychological fascism. I don't really care about changing people's minds per se. My job is to kind of inspire people to change their own minds. And this just comes, comes back to the kind of uh, philosophical understanding of evil. I think everyone is capable of um, understanding the things we talk about, but they just don't have the balls to kind of implement it. And not having the balls to do something is kind of one step towards evil. But um, if we could um, somehow like, kind of infiltrate the mainstream media and pump out these messages that we're talking about right now overnight, yes, of course I would be in favor of that, but we'd have no way of imposing our opinion upon everyone, which is why I've always been a kind of deconstructuralist, a kind of anarchist. A kind oh, of oh a no, okay. We'll no, get rid of the imposing, because I don't want to do that either, okay? We don't, we don't believe in that. That's one of the reasons we're an educational movement. We talk to people, we change their, you know, we, we give them the information. Yes, they, they're free to do whatever they want, change their minds. Let's just say that you have the ability right now to, to, to give your speech. You know, you had a bullhorn the size of Kansas, and everybody on the earth could hear you. 
and you were able to, to do your love police thing, and everybody agreed to it, that we, as a, as a species on the planet, need to do this for the sake of everyone. That, that's, you know, because that's still a global implication, but it, it doesn't mean that unity of the people towards a positive end is bad. I understand why you're worried about it being a negative end. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. Trust me. Okay? Um, but one way or the other, as you know, was pointed out by the listener, we still live on one planet, and the resources are not infinite. And if we don't collectively, as a species, understand that, we're going to destroy ourselves. Now, I'm not worried about criminals doing that, but the capitalists are doing that, and they don't give a damn how much damage they're doing. They care about profit. That's their god. That's their religion. Neil, the, I would say the resources are infinite. They've existed in the, the known universe for 13.7 billion years, and uh, if you look at quantum physics, the kind of multi-universe of all upon each other go on into infinity. Nature is a self-perpetuating infinite fractal system, and many human tribes, many human organizations have managed to live within that infinity, going off infinity into infinity and beyond, as uh, Buzz Lightyear says. It's just when, what I call, I've always called it the machine. I always talk about the goddess versus the machine. The machine is trying to impose a binary, kind of controlled um, way of looking at reality, which is destroying nature. And the goddess is just a kind of live and let live, um, you know, down your tools and your machines and live according to the infinite nature of nature itself. So I, um, I, I think if we start talking about the world as a finite resource where totally undermining nature's um, ability to replenish itself infinitely, as, as it's always done. So, okay, I, I understand where you're coming from with that, and that's actually something that, that we agree with you on, is that things should be allowed to replenish themselves. Unfortunately, um, I know, and it, when you said to Infinity Beyond, I guess, are you implying that space exploration will allow us to continue to acquire infinite resources? That's not a, that's not a bad idea, okay? I'm not saying that by any means is wrong. I mean, I have a guy from you know who works on the space shuttle on my show all the time, and he he wrote a book about the fact that we need to expand, you know, into the into the universe. One of the things that Shock is worried about is what we don't want to see is like what you see in James Cameron's Avatar. We we need to change our social values before we go sending the kinds of jerk offs that are running our society into space so that they can go make Native American victims out of the whole galaxy if we run into anybody else. You know, um, do you understand why I feel that way? That, I, you know, we need to get more people thinking like us before we go taking our yep. problems out and spitting them all over the galaxy. You know, awesome. and that's, so um, going along with that, it, it more has to do with um, right now the system that we have, okay? What you're talking about, for example, the way that you would use resources, once again, leaning towards the, the primitivist attitude a little bit, um, is not a problem. That That's not a threat, okay? What we want to do is in the same fashion. We don't want to use any kind of resources that are not renewable. We want to get rid of as many of the products that, that use them now as possible, find replacements, and actually not even produce anywhere near as much crap, you know, um, <laughs> it, it doesn't, you know it, that we are now. Okay, we, we've been over all that. The materialistic lifestyle, this is the funny thing, actually, about anarcho-primitivists that I've talked to them about is we, we agree on a lot of very fundamental things. It's a matter of how we get there that's a little different. The average Venus Project citizen feels as badly about the idea of over-materialism as an anarcho-primitivist does. It's the fact that we are so obsessed with all this stuff that, you know, like, you know, in the story of stuff, 
you know, Annie put it very well in kind of a joking way, but the reality is we are, we are brainwashed into thinking we need so much junk and we're pulling the earth apart to get it. You know, that's where the, once again, come back to value systems. Um, you know, how important is it that we're using all these resources? It takes, it takes a really freaking long time, for example. It takes millions of years to make a diamond. It'll take, you know, a long time for any new oil to be made. There, there are only so many resources, and I think that, I, I, at least I hope that you agree with me that heading down this, this Ayn Randian direction, you know, where there's a group of people who only really care about their own profit and they're destroying this planet because they don't have any concern for the environmental implications of their never-ending expansion, that's where the yeah. real enemies are. No, I agree with you, Neil. Fuck Ayn Rand, man. She's a demonic whore of Babylon. Right. <laughs> Coming back to um, kind of uh, what you were saying um, about the brainwashing of, of society, people imposing a kind of system on people, I can't get around the actual logical conclusion or just the kind of blatant in-your-face fact that, that it's not systems per se. It's actual individual human beings who are making a conscious effort at the top of hierarchies to impose this system upon people because they're as clever as you and I are. They're probably a lot more clever. They're classically trained. They go to Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Cambridge and Oxford, and they make a choice because they're like, they're like, fuck it. I'm at the top of this pyramid. Let's maintain this system. So that's what I call evil. It's not that human beings, because we decided to kind of run a program, say Windows 95 on our computer that were fucked up. It's the fact that people at the top are making a conscious effort to be evil. And, it's, and you know, why don't we have um, people at the top, um, say in the White House or in Downing Street or in Buckingham Palace, suddenly coming out and deciding to change society? Um, there's certain people who um, I, I don't 100% agree with this, but if we're looking at infinite possibility, infinite life, quantum universes, uh, multiple universes, what the fuck are these life forms imposing this kind of they live? Have you seen the film They Live? Oh, yes. Love it. Yeah. Like, who are these life forms imposing this anti-human system upon us? And for me, um, I just keep having dreams, like waking dreams, sleeping dreams. That if we can have a fanatical human force that would hunt down every single last one of these fuckers and send them back into oblivion from whence they came and have a kind of fanatic cultish force that would attack power wherever it reared its head, things would get a lot easier, but that is only possible with, with anarchism because, you know, otherwise we'd be chased down by um, stormtroopers and killed straight away. Sorry, I'm, I'm ranting here. These no, are no, no, I, no, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. The only thing that I would say is that when we talk about trigger words and, and dangerous thinking, the, the people who rounded up every last member of the Russian monarchy and slaughtered them, including the children, were thinking the same thing. Well, it can lead you down. A, it can lead you down a dark path. That's all I'm saying. No, but I think uh, anyone who pulls the trigger on Zygmunt Brzezinski and, um, let's say, uh, the Queen would be doing humanity a service because these people have proven themselves to have no ounce of humanity in them. I mean, Zygmunt Brzezinski, he was at a Council of Foreign Relations meeting, and he was saying, "Oh, uh, in the past, it was a lot easier to control a million people than to kill them." And he was saying, oh, nowadays it's a lot easier to kill a million people than it is to control them. Ha, ha, ha. Fuck that guy. He's not a human. Just look at his face. There's something very strange about him. I don't know what it is, but he's not a human being. Are you, are you kind of going along with the, the David Ikean thing that you believe that, that maybe aliens are involved? Is that where I'm coming from here? Or where, where you're coming from here? Aliens. But within infinite possibility, there are levels of consciousness which are infiltrating other levels. So there is a very 
non-human consciousness in those 3D atomic DNA structured human bodies because I, I, I can't imagine anyone I would ever hang out with doing what these people do. Like I've never ever met um, people who are capable of doing the things these people do and I, I think you would agree you've never met anyone who's capable of um, killing one million Iraqi civilians. It's, there's something very strange and yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of David Icke. I think he says some very, very, um, some very profound things about the nature of reality. And when I've taken a heroic dose of magic mushrooms or LSD, I have seen these very entities from which he talks about. But I don't know if that's just because I'm baked or because that's me lifting the veil of uh, illusion and seeing reality for what it is. I, I'm undecided. I'm, I'm fully skeptical. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say overall is that um, any organized big system, such as the Venus Project, you would have these uh, demonic entities arriving in this uh, dimension from other dimensions and, and causing havoc, because that, that's how the video game is, is played. Have you ever played Super Mario Brothers? You'd have the turtles, you'd have Bowser, you'd have these creatures coming in and, and doing these strange things. And what a coincidence in Super Mario that they're reptilian as well. <laughs> well, let me, um, let me say that I, I think that that kind of it, it kind of goes back to the, the religious aspect, only now it's, it's a science, I don't want to say science fiction, but it, it's basically it's a scientific kind of explanation in that you're saying aliens rather than demons are the reasons that these things are happening. Now, what, do I think that, hold on a second, do I think that people are capable of certain things like that? I think that, as I pointed out earlier, I mean, was, was every single guard at a concentration camp a reptile? You know, were they all aliens? You know, no, they were humans. And they were heavily impacted by their environment that allowed them to be weak-minded enough to accept somebody who said he was going to save them. And all they had to do was round up a bunch of innocent people and shove them in a camp. Well, I think um, this is where you and I, I did a video called uh, Thoughts on the Resistance, where I discussed this about how in day-to-day -day life, and you, you mentioned the concentration camp guards. I would say um, within this infinite possibility, they have a lot less true consciousness in them, if any at all, because... Again, no one I know, and I hope no one you know, would be able to do a concentration camp guard job herding Jewish children into an oven. Um, I think they might even be in this video game, in this holographic video game, just digital, well-written programs that act human, quack like a human, walk like a human, yet there's no humanity there. If you kind of look them in the eye, they're just empty. Yet if you kind of spend enough time with them, the way the Matrix is um, written, this program, they would, uh, the kind of computer-generated... Um, reality would create some form of humanity if you took the time out to kind of capture them and take them aside and study them. But on a day-to-day -day level, they're just like background, strange people. And I know the criticism could say, oh my God, Charlie is just dehumanizing all these people. But no, they've dehumanized themselves. I'm just, you know, goat boy is just calling it like he sees it. I don't know anyone that could do a concentration camp guard job. These people are just lacking in humanity. And if they're lacking in humanity, they're not human. It's a logical conclusion. Lack humanity, you're not human. There you go. Well, um, I can tell you that my personal opinion, um, and this is not shared by the Venus Project, okay? Yep. That I've talked to Jacques about aliens. Um, Jacques kind of of the opinion that if they do exist, they're not interested in us because we're kind of dangerous. <laughs> um, we're not developed. You know, like remember you said you like Star Trek, for example. That's actually another point that I'm going to bring up on a unified Earth that you see in the Federation. It, it was, you know, it's, it can't happen, but it needs to be done right. But we'll get back to that. My personal opinion is that I do believe it's possible that there are aliens. I've seen enough evidence of technologies and things that are used, even with my own eyes, 
You know, it's yeah. not even a it's not even a quacky thing anymore. You just watch Mexican television. They're they're on there all day. You know, it's it's just, they're you know, but but my initial gut reaction, and it can't be more than that, okay, is that if there are such entities, I don't think they're here I don't think they're here to hurt us. If they wanted to control us, they wouldn't be dicking around with our politicians. They would just do it. The kind of technology that I've seen demonstrated, they would just do it. You know, and that's why I mean that's just my feeling, okay. As far as the Venus Project is concerned, um, we believe that the, the reality here is that we basically feel that mankind is malleable and basically can be forced to do anything. We, we've seen that with the way that people get conditioned, for example, in the military. Um, we've seen that the way they get conditioned when they become criminals. People who started off really well can become really freaking evil, and I don't think they need any alien to investigate in them. Once again, we're, we're using evil as an example a term, a description for behavior. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is, is that mankind needs to take responsibility for what led these people in this direction, and almost all of them. This is one of the reasons I keep coming back to this. I know I've said it a few times. Your best guardian against tyranny and against uh, fascist takeovers is always going to be education, freedom of information, critical and analytical thinking nailed in to people's brains. <laughs> I, I don't mean physically nailed. I mean just figuratively. From the beginning, you know, hardwired because you're essentially teaching your child to be very, you know, because my mom was the same way. For example, my mom said, don't reject authority out of hand, but do question authority. And the example she used was the troop of soldiers, the platoon of soldiers they sent to ground zero after they detonated the first atomic bomb, all of which you died. Okay. She used that as an example because you, you need to be thinking like that. For my whole life, she made me skeptical, but she also was very careful to make, make sure I wasn't overly skeptical because some people, they take it too far. You know, you get to a point where you're, you're, you're seeing shadows everywhere. And, it, it, you know, and so I, I guess my, my point is this. I don't believe that we need aliens for there to be evil. If there is, it's still not in their best interest for us to, to be training our brains to make ourselves resistant to these kinds of manipulations. Okay, maybe not um, aliens. Maybe the way I would describe it is um, interdimensional mathematical thought complexes, which can um, permeate different uh, levels of um, the multiverse. Well, um, if we can get some kind of, you know, this is another aspect. If you can bring a scientific proof that such things are happening, you know, uh, we're pretty big on science in this movement. We'll be happy to help you. You know, it's, that basically, until then, we know for sure that man can be manipulated to do things that he shouldn't be. Um, yeah. That much we can deal with. If you can prove, you know, you know, that's the whole thing. That's one of the reasons why we keep saying science. Okay, if you've got this interdimensional problem that you're concerned about, if we all give up our technology, we're going to be really easy to conquer. You know, uh, that's that actually puts us in a bad position if, if, you, if that's what you're thinking. You know, um, yeah, but um, you know the Native Americans they had very very primitive science, if, if any at all. It was all based on spirituality, a harmony with nature, and um, kind of a very basic tool which they used, and they gave kind of thanks to the kind of the planet for every animal they killed. Um, Neil, could you um, hold the fort for two and a half minutes? I'm just going to go and take a piss. Sure, I'll bring on a caller. Thank you. Cheers. We have two seconds. Caller from the 973 area code. You're on the air. Hi, Neil. Um, I had a question, but I really wanted to ask your guest a question. It, it seemed as though um, a lot of what he was saying was not looking at um, from the perspective of solving Earth's problems. 
and the fact that if you look at globalissues.com, it's a website, and the fact that um, more than half the planet's population is uh, suffering and living on uh, $2.50 a day and living a very poor quality of life, it, it would seem that you would look at uh, a solution from that perspective. And it just seems that he's looking at isolated situations such as China's 10% economic growth, which, as everyone said, is not going to last. And the fact that America has a little less than 5% of the population, yet, you know, it consumes uh, more than 25% of Earth's um, energy resources. So I just think that when you look at a resource-based economy, you know, you're looking at it from a perspective of solving Earth's problems. And and, and that's what I wanted to mention to him, to, to, to get him to, to challenge him, to look at it from, from, from the entire Earth's um, perspective. No, you know, and I, just to be, you know, because obviously I, I think actually he may have come back, and maybe you can re-ask your question. My, my, my point that I was going to give you, and I've, I've said this actually to some of my listeners, is that one of the more frustrating things about this is, is not really the things that we, we disagree on in so much as the things that we agree on. Um, I think that we actually have a lot in common as far as what we think the problem is, and I think that one of the things that we see a lot in these freedom movements is that they end up fighting each other endlessly over how we can achieve world peace. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, uh, the people who are actually the problem just keep on trucking. It certainly is in their best interest that we continue to fight each other. Um, right. You know, that's actually, you know, even in like, for example, in my own fiction, I write about, you know, Christian mythology kind of stuff. And, you know, in my own fiction, I said that, you know, it certainly suits the devil if he were to exist, that all of the religions that follow God are killing one another. You know, it's, and that's not an endorsement of any belief in God on my part. I'm just saying that in my stories, I pointed out that, you know, if there is a, if there is a devil, I'm sure it suits him just fine that, you know, people are killing each other over being peaceful. <laughs> um, now, uh, I, I also think that you know, you're right about the issue of the, um, the subject matter as far as, like, you know, realizing that we're taking care of the planet as a whole. Um, and that we do live in a, in a unified ecosystem and that what we do in one section of the planet will have impacts on other sections of the planet. And that's the reason why you have to look at it from a, um, you know, an, a planet-wide perspective. I won't even use the word global because it's so charged. Um, you, you know, a planet-wide perspective. We can't, for example, just say, well, this is working for us okay in the United States, but, you know, uh, but those islands over there, they're not doing so hot. Um <laughs> Well, that's not our problem because we don't want to be globalists, so therefore we're just we're just going to let them go do their thing. Um, that's where I, I, I don't think people realize, that's why I, I tried to use that example, is that when they're saying world peace, that's a globalist agenda. It's not an evil one, but, but we, can't, we can't allow ourselves to be limited by the concept that we can't work on things as a planet. I remember going through all that with the libertarians when I was with them. Like I wanted to bring on... Uh, uh, Connie Fogel from the Canadian Action Party. She's an activist in Canada, and some of them are like, I don't care about Canada. I care about the United States. I'm like, if you believe that there is a global effort to enslave mankind, then it's going to take a global effort to deal with it. You know, that's, you know to, to be all separated in all these little groups, well, I'm an American, I'm a you know, Lithuanian, I'm a South American, is exactly what any kind of conquering group would want you to do. Because then they've only got to do it one piece at a time. I agree. I agree 100%. I, 
I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the way that I, I see it is that I'm not opposed to a uh, global government um, if it's being run by the correct people or if it's looking at it from a non-selfish perspective because people who look at it, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm here in New Jersey, and, um, yes, I, I do realize that America is is definitely a great nation, but I think people should be less selfish. And um, I look at it as Africa. You know, it's a continent with 54 countries, and Africa has uh, the Africa is the richest continent on Earth in terms of natural resources, but its people are the poorest. That is something that I cannot reconcile with, and it doesn't make any sense to me. And we know that the industrialized nations in Europe and America, they use up a lot of those resources. But how is it fair that Africa has a continent with, with is so rich in resources, yet the people are the poorest? If you watch the movie Blood Diamond, and, um, and parts of that movie is true, and, and, and at the end of the movie when a guy went to Congress and testified in front of Congress, he said that every time a valuable resource is found in Africa, the people always die or are moved from the land. So the resource-based economy has a system where if we can just have the courage to um, really do a serious inventory of all of Earth's resources, it will clearly show that we have the caring capacity to be able to manage for all of humanity. And, and that is the big thing. Big business and the multinational corporations would never want an inventory of Earth's resources because what that's going to do is, is, is going to put out the lie of their scarcity. And, and, and this is what we need to do. We need to get a database of Earth's resources. Well, let me also um, add to that, caller, by pointing out that in our approach to things, if we found out that there was a limited amount of resources, then we wouldn't be looking to capitalize on it. We'd be looking to replace it. We'd be looking to find a way to make it plentiful, you know, to, to find a solution to whatever it was. And if we found out that we were getting dangerously close to carrying capacity, we would educate people and say, look, we're, you know, it, it's, we don't have enough, you know, of the things that are needed to survive at the moment. We're not going to stop you from breeding, but most people, you know, most people are smart enough to stop having kids. If you don't have enough people, if you don't have enough food to feed them, but this then, is where I have to. Can I bust in here? Um, well, let me. I, let me I, yeah, sure. Let me finish my sentence. But sure. then that would be treated as a threat to humanity, meaning that we have this problem, and then we would look for a scientific solution, and that's possibly where space exploration and things like that come into play. Um, whereas in capitalist system, if there's a scarcity, they see it as a possibility for them to get more money. Um, they don't see it as a as a as a problem. That's why I tell people. Don't declare war over oil. Declare war on the scarcity of energy, okay? Put all of those resources you put into chemical weapons and biological agents and nuclear weapons, put all of those resources into solving mankind's problems, you know, and taking care of the planet. That's how you solve problems in a Venus Project society. Thank you for calling in. You're welcome. Um, I'm real quick, Neil. Um, I think with technology we would be able to, I mean, you mentioned that uh, if resources were becoming scarce. I think with technology and, and, and some of the things that we can do, we can easily replace 
a scarce resources with, you know, something else or, or, or with technology. So I don't think, you know, that would necessarily oh, be yeah, an issue. Sure. It's just Absolutely. it's just the fact that right. no, uh, they don't want to. He doesn't think there's any danger of messing up the carrying capacity. He thinks we can extend it by a great deal. Right. He doesn't even think it's even going to be an issue anytime soon. Um, but anyway, I, I do need to get back to the call because we've only got 28 minutes. And I, I okay, sure all right, well, thanks for the time, Neil. No problem, take care. All right, yeah, um, sorry, Charles, go ahead. No, no problem. Yeah, just uh, in absolute opposition to the caller, um, I think um, to database the whole world and find out what resources we have and have a, a catalog would, would um, do the exact opposite. All that would do would uh, create even more illusion of scarcity because people would go, oh, my God, it's not infinite, it's finite. And they would fight and go to war even more to control that. Um, also, um, you talk about carrying capacity, but there's something very inherently different from uh, human beings to other animals in that we are conscious. And I, I would like to see a world of, say, 20 billion or 30 billion. I, I totally reject this idea that we could um, try and educate people to have less kids. I think human beings are the most awesome things that have ever existed in, in my um, consciousness anyway. I want more people. Uh, with more people, we've got more art, we've got more music, we've got more um, kind of conversation, we've got more of these things. And I think it's uh, it's 100% true, and this is my opinion, which so it's 100% true to me, that um, if um, we got rid of um, kind of institutions which, you know, promoted uh, the cataloging of things and treating things as resources and, uh, and so forth, we could, um, you know, organize people and have, you know, local farms where billions more people could be... Um, raised and living uh, as beautifully free human beings. And just something in my heart doesn't resonate with the idea of cataloging and uh, treating this planet and the people as resources or treating the natural uh, natural uh, produce of this planet as resources, because it's not. It just is. It just, it just very simply is, and we use it. And I think, um, and the one thing I take issue with, uh, Neil, you said earlier, is that you, you made a differential between what you believe and then you said we at the Venus Project, we believe X and Y and Z. How uh, Say Venus Project, Zeitgeist, you got, say, 200,000 people. How can you speak and say we believe this? That just sounds like a religion, a cult, another kind of all-encompassing belief system. I actually am a spokesman for Jacques and Roxanne. That's why. I wasn't talking about the whole movement. <laughs> I'm just telling you that's what Jacques and Roxanne's positions are on the issue. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and also, but and and in fact, more to the point, you'll note that I differentiated, and the reason why is because I'm also inclined to and have the right to have my own opinion. Um, I feel that I've seen enough evidence that I believe aliens exist. Jacques does not, but I don't have to agree with him about aliens to be involved in the Zeitgeist Movement or the Venus Project. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Okay. Um, now, uh, that being said, okay. I also want to point something out in regards to this issue of population. The only reason that this question even comes up is because people, they're worried about population control because they hear the, they hear the, the New World Order wants to kill a bunch of us and all of that. The, reason that we, the, the reason, only reason we even come to that question, when people ask us, well, how would you deal with overpopulation? We say, well, one, we'll tell people that it's happening, and two, um, we will then treat it as a threat to mankind and then solve it. Um, find ways so that more people can live here. It's, it's not about depopulating at all, but it is about trying to ensure that the systems are equal. Now, you understand population and you understand nature. Okay, let me give you an example. We killed the wolves in Michigan. So deer overpopulated. Then they started deforesting. 
uh, doing damage to the environment because there were too many of them because their natural predators were gone. This eventually did all kinds of damage elsewhere in the ecosystem. That's why we ended up hunting them. Um, it's one of the reasons why people, in a way, we have the deer seasons that we do here in Michigan. I'm not advocating more getting into the argument of hunting, but it has to do with the fact that the, the, the ecosystem, and that's another thing that I, that I worry about, for example, because sometimes you're going to have threats to the planet. Whether you believe in global warming or don't believe in global warming, there are other threats to the planet. For example, the bees. Things, something is happening to our bees, and if they die, you're, you know, you want, you're worried about like, you know, any number of other things. We'd have to come up with all kinds of solutions on how to solve what a bee does for the planet, not just for your local area. You know, and I don't have a problem, once again, I do feel, I agree with you that smaller communities actually work a lot better. I, I do agree with you there. Um, sociology, you know, has much less impact in a smaller community. But at the same time, see, this is why it's a network. You know, when you say centralization, it, it, that kind of implies that there's this one thing that's running everything. It's a network of information from all over the world, okay? Um, and as a result, we can look at the implications of, on the planet of the things that we're doing. Now, what if somebody in one of these smaller communities is doing something that's harming people in another community? That's why we need to look at the way communities work and also, you know, and looking at, you know, from things on, on how they could affect the planet um, is important to everybody, okay? That's, it's just like Nash said in uh, the Beautiful Mind movie. He said, you know, it's actually better for you to do what's for yourself, what's best for yourself and the group, because you're part of the group. It doesn't mean individuality needs to be sacrificed. And that's another thing that we get, we get labeled with. You've read The Best the Money Can't Buy. You had to have read it the various times, because Jacques mentions it like four or five times. Individual rights are paramount. Individuality is paramount. But a lot of the terms about what makes somebody an individual, though, um, are, are illusions. That's what the thing that he says that sometimes makes people you know, uh, nervous. The other thing he says makes people nervous is he says things like, uh, you know, people think that they should have a right to their own opinion. Now, when he says that, it's not that he thinks that people should be running around smacking people for having an opinion. He says, don't settle for an opinion. Go find out what the hell's actually going on and know what the hell you're talking about before you go shooting your mouth off and doing things that could hurt people. You know, that's what he's saying. It's, it's, a, it's a different philosophy on how to approach things. It's not about, and it's never about controlling anybody. Um, I know there's a mild tangent, but, you know, I got the frescoism going on, so. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's okay. Um, but, uh, go ahead. Yeah, just on, um, kind of going in, back into the kind of say, psychology or spirituality or esoteric things, um, coming back to my idea that this is a kind of reality projection that we're living, that we are infinite beings experiencing this very short, uh, say, 85-year um, physical manifestation, bringing our consciousness into this. Um I am um, I I am I am a pacifist. I think you know peace is the kind of way forward. But I am also um, I, I like to think that if, if push came to shove, I could resort to extreme violence to kind of protect what I um, stand for. Just um, Neil, because you you have Native American blood, um, do you um, believe or do you feel as your opinion that the Native Americans were right or wrong to fight the white man um, with everything they had? Um, it didn't get them anywhere. That's, that's part of the problem. Uh, they're kind of getting their revenge now because they learned the system and they're opening casinos and things like that. And ironically, they're basically kind of selling the fire water to the white man now. You know, people, their gambling habits are getting taken advantage of by the Native Americans. 
regardless of um, whether it got them. No, no. Do I believe that you should be able to be to defend yourself? Um, I believe that that is a short-term solution. I also don't think it's a good solution for the long run because one of the things that develops out of this is just like, for example, when you said about that that group of people, kind of an inquisition that goes and finds power and kills them. Um, and eventually, what ends up happening? Like, okay, you live in the UK, okay? A lot of the troubles in Ireland versus Ireland and England. It comes down to you tend to forget what it is that you're doing. Somebody shows up at your village, he kills your brother. You go to his village, you kill his brother. His other brother comes to your village, kills somebody else's brother. It, that's why I said it's a short-term solution, and that's why I kind of I tend to prefer non-lethal means of defending yourself, not just out of respect for the person who's trying to kill me, but because it, violence tends to beget violence, which tends to beget violence. It's not just about kumbaya, hug me, and all that. I'm, you know, for example, I'm I'm not Christian. I'm an atheist. My belief, you know, they're agnostic leaning atheists. It, my belief in uh, a lack of violence is not just because it's, I think it's wrong. It's because it's not productive. Um, but you do need to be able to protect yourself in the short term, absolutely. Um, and I think, especially if you have tech, you know, people that are, when developing weapons technology, and I use the word weapon very loosely. Um, when they're interested in finding non-lethal and non-harmful ways of protecting themselves, that's a quote-unquote military-industrial complex I could get behind, as long as it's to protect yourself and nothing else. Um, but even then, it's it's still not as effective as just like one of the things that I said to Jacques and Roxanne one day as I was thinking about it. It's like they always say, well, what if somebody outside your community they want to raid you? You know, they're they're hungry, they don't have enough. And I said, and I said, well. Why don't we just drop food on them? In fact, why don't we just drop self-replicating food systems on them? Then they don't have any reason to come over here. You know, that's that's an example of how you, you treat these kinds of things. Do I believe the Native Americans had the right to defend themselves? Yes, but the other thing that went on there is there was so much politics and crap. You know, like a Crazy Horse is in many ways the William Wallace of the Native Americans. He was killed by his own people. Yeah, there was all kinds of politics and stupidity that went in it. Nobody would listen to him. This is another reason why wars just don't solve anything. It's not just about, you know, like I said, it's not just about the, the, the love your neighbor stuff. It's about, it's logically, it's stupid. It, it just doesn't get you anywhere. Um, and and that's, that's why I would say, you know, that's how I would answer your question. Do you, I believe you can defend yourself? Yes. Do I advocate violence? No, not because I think that I'm going to go to heaven if I advocate pacifism because I think that pacifism is also the logical choice. Sure. Yeah, but um, you say that the Native American fight back against uh, the invading Europeans wasn't productive, but uh, it doesn't need to be productive. It could be basically on your own honor. It can be of your own defense. Uh, an example I like to use is the uh, Warsaw Ghetto Uprising of Jewish-Polish people in, uh, in World War II. They knew they were all going to die, yet they chose to fight back with pistols and machine guns against an invading... Nazi horde, and they all knew they were going to die, but rather than being gassed in a gas chamber, they chose to fight to the death. And that rings a big bell inside me that says, fuck yeah, you know, um, you know, if, if death is an illusion and we kind of go on forever in this infinite cosmic, you know, kind of consciousness um, tree, um, I, I think um, there is something inherent to, you know, playing the game, and part of playing the game is not just kind of rolling over and allowing someone to do it, and also not always just thinking logically what's best for you, because what was logically best for the Native American would be to adopt all the customs of the white man straight away and say, yeah, you guys are stronger, you guys are militaristically and technologically more advanced than us. 
we will serve you, we will be part of this, which they ended up being forced to do anyway. But um, right. was it Sitting Bull was the last uh, Indian chief to um, surrender? Uh, I believe so. And crazy horse yeah. for him before he was killed. Yeah, so, um, you know, like, there's something very honorable, something very human about that. I don't know where I'm going with my kind of uh, supreme violence tangent, but uh, let me try and turn it into a question for the Venus Project. Um, well, uh, oh, wait, while you're thinking about that, let me, let me make an interesting point. World War II is actually ended by destroying the infrastructure of the Nazi regime. Um, it wasn't about how many Nazis we killed. It was about the fact that we consistently bond their factories and their means of producing weapons of mass destruction. Um, if I were to wage such a war from a Venus Project perspective, because once again, they don't talk about making weapons ever, um, I would look into nonviolent ways that more specifically don't target humans, but just remove somebody's ability to make war in the first place. That's what I would say. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, I've, yeah, I've got, um, um, someone's just uh, written to me um, asking me to ask a question. Is it okay if I ask uh, his question? Sure, go ahead. Sure. It says here, if the Venus Project is so great, why have they not initiated anything other than cheesy videos, speculative books, and silly online groups and organizations? Um, unlike you, they're all hot air. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Actions speak louder than words. I think what he's saying is um, Jack Fresco in 30 years has been doing this. How come there's nothing more than uh, cheesy videos, speculative books, and silly online groups and organizations? Well, first of all, let's, let's take a look at... Um what allowed Jack Fresco to be known on a worldwide level? Um, a new invention called the Internet. We actually had a caller just a while ago who told me, he's like, well, I'm kind of discouraged. I mean, Jack's been at this for so long. Why hasn't he done anything? Well, you know, well, the reason he didn't do anything is because he spent an awful lot of time with a really great idea with nobody who really was interested in it, you know, um, other than the people who knew him. And because of Peter Joseph's film and the Internet, you know, he was able to, without very much money involved, get this message to a lot of people. Okay? That's what changed everything. That's the paradigm shift, the Internet, technology, a major aspect of technology that I think that even if I were to ever be a primitivist, I, I could not give, give up the Internet. Our ability to communicate with each other helps us to understand each other, um, to, to understand our values, to learn about things, and also to be able to speak out and to have alternative media like the one that's having you on this radio show right now. Okay? Yeah. Now, that being said, as far as what's being done, you know, remember what we said earlier about it's not just about the technology, it's about the value system, okay? We can build a self-sustaining technology, and that will slowly start to impact the people within that society, but you also have to be able to educate people to be thinking like this. I mean, think about it, for example. When you're getting up on your bullhorn and you're, and you're making those statements to get people to rethink capitalism, that's what we're doing, too. I mean, you're not burning down any buildings or anything you know, that I'm aware of, and don't tell me if you are. Um, you're not, <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not doing anything physical to do this. You're, you're, you're educating people. That's, it's we're in the same phase. The difference is, is that it, it's not just about telling them that there's a problem. It's about telling what the problem is. And I think you do a good job with that. In fact, as Zeitgeist member quoted one of your videos, used an excerpt from it in his own video to try to make that point. Um, we're still at the phase where uh, one of the major things that's different about what we're educating people about is about the true state of technology. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen Who Killed the Electric Car. You're an activist. Um, yep. Most people are not even you – know, it's starting to change. You can see the electric cars are coming back, but it took activists to make that happen. But the point is, is that they, they don't see that – the reason that they don't believe – for example, I had a guy, a person I thought was very intelligent – I included geothermal in my debate about why we don't need to be using fossil fuels. 
And he said, geothermal, that's Star Trek. That's not real. And I said, did you know that 70% of the power output in Iceland comes from geothermal? He had no idea that in Iceland right now they're using geothermal to power most of their country. Um, you know, it, the state of technology is what allows us to do this, and most people are not aware of it. And to be brutally honest, who killed the electric car proves that the elite that are the real problem don't want us to know about it because yeah. then they know that we don't have to be working for them. As soon as somebody figures out that all they need to do to power their cars is to set up a solar array, the oil companies are screwed, you know, and they know that. And that's why they bought out battery patents to try to slow the process. That's why they buy out patents on every uh, alternative, the internal combustion engine. That's why when somebody goes ahead and puts it out anyway, like Tucker or some of these other car makers, they destroy them. You know, anybody who tries to change the paradigm of the things that they control. And that's never going to change until we can change the paradigm of the way people think about these things. Then we can start talking about building stuff. When you look at all of the various communes in the past, the ones that have failed all have one thing in common. The value structure of the people in question was not compatible with the way that they were living. That's why any of the successful communes have a screening process. My friend Jack, uh, Jack Reed from the Community Planet Foundation, in order to get involved in his organization, he screens people. He doesn't, you know, basically just to make sure, okay, is this person really going to work well you know, in a cooperative community? I guess I better find out. You know, there's a Twin Oaks commune that's actually very successfully practicing communism with no problems at all, you know, here in the United States and Virginia. They, they, I think they did a special on it in Russia today. Um, and, you know, it's, it is possible, but it only works if the, people's in, the people in question have the right value system for it to work. You know, it's, think about it like this. You know, if, if you were going to have a task done, any task, you know, even if it's just building a building, you know, would you invite a member of the Ku Klux Klan, a member of the Black Panthers, a member, you know, you know to, together to get these people together to work on a project? Absolutely not. Their value systems would make it impossible for them to work together. Um, and so that's why we need to make that paradigm shift, to change the way people think. In most cases, just making people aware of the fact that they don't have to have a job, that they could just be off the grid. They said, even the off the grid thing is, is this fringe thing that most people don't know about. Like it's this big secret that there's whole subcultures of people who have already liberated themselves from the system. That's what phase one is all about. When we get to the point that, you know, it isn't to say that we don't want to build the first test city, but it's something that needs to be done very delicately. Because another thing that happens that comes up in all this stuff is that when you try a new social system, you kind of get one shot at it. And if you screw it up, you end up like communism. You end up like socialism. You know, it's like the idea that these people are living peacefully in this commune in Virginia is totally alien to them. You know, like, what? Communism? You know, they're scared. Oh, you know, then they go investigate it, and it's just a bunch of people having fun. You know, they all work. They put in, you know, effort for their community. It's not this big evil regime. There's no KGB running around shooting everybody. But most people don't know that because it suited the masses. This is the thing that I think you should point about the most. The elite are actually more afraid of communism and socialism than they are of capitalism. Because the idea that anybody should share anything, you say the word share in front of a Tea Party member sometime and see what they say to you. You know, they put that John Galt guy up on their signs and they act like that's the means to freedom. The means to freedom is to hand everything, all the power over to money and just let the rich people run everything. And if not, well, then we'll go on strike and destroy the infrastructure of the planet and kill the majority of the population and then you'll be begging us to come back. Ayn Rand. They don't even know what it is that they're talking about when they've got John Galt signs over their head what it implies. They also don't study the rest of the stuff that she says. You know, that's, that's what I'm saying. Value system needs to change. 
All that stuff about the Native Americans being invaded, Iran was totally on board with it. She's also on board with the idea of invading Middle Eastern countries and taking their stuff. Anybody who's less industrious than you deserves to die. You can take their stuff. She never spits it out like that unless you can find the right quotes. We've already been over her, but I'm saying, for example, as long as these kinds of silly ideas exist, we're going to have a hell of a hard time. You know, and even within the zeitgeist movement, we've had people who they think they got it, and then it's pretty obvious they don't when you talk to them. You know, we had a guy, he was like a total capitalist. And I'm like, what are you even doing here? You know, I was like, I, I don't understand this. You know, you know, and he's, he's like, well, I think it should all be about science, and, and I'm not willing to sacrifice anything of my own personal life, you know, but if I can make my life better, then that's great. But if I have to compromise even a little, you know, for anybody, you know, he's like, I don't give a, a damn about egalitarian values. I'm like, how the hell did this idiot get into my movement? <laughs> so it's like, not to say that it's mine, you know, but just to say that I'm part of it, you know, um, that's the reason we're still in the phase of trying to help people really understand this direction because it's very delicate. Okay. So if once you have it and it's being done right, it works. If you, yeah. and it's just like any machine. If you put a corrupted, you know, thing in it or, you know, even just a natural system, you know, you, you put the wrong insect, you know, like we have a uh, rules here in the States that you can't move firewood because there's this worm that we were moving into different States that we're annihilating the trees you know, yeah. as soon as you have something that doesn't belong there, you can screw the whole thing up, and we don't want to end up like communism. You know, there were a lot of things that happened in the Soviet Russia that were not what Marx had envisioned. The, the yeah. dictatorship of the proletariat, the common man, never took place. It never happened. Instead, you got the, the nomenclature. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. I think oh, what my, uh, the guy who wrote in to me just now I think um, one thing I guess we would like to see is um, the, the kind of test city built, say a big city where all the food production and the sewage and the transport was run by automated machines, and then maybe a second city. And I guess people are just so kind of impatient. They want things now, and I'm, I'm one of them. I, I hear all these wonderful things, and I love reading Jack Fresco's book, The Best That Money Can Buy. But I know, and I'm sure you agree with me, Neil, we have the technology. We've had the technology for 50 years to implement all these things right now. So why aren't we doing it? Well, for the reasons that I just gave you, the technology is not um, it is available, but it's not there yet, and we can't you know, magically make it appear. Um, the hope is that you know, the, you know, there's a couple of different ways from lo about looking at this. The strategy of how you implement something like this needs to be very critically done. And if it isn't done right, Corruption can take hold. That's one of the major issues. You obviously don't want such a system to develop itself only to have it controlled um, by somebody who doesn't have these interests. This is one of the reasons why Jock and Roxanne are constantly worried about anybody who talks to them about money, because people have tried to exploit Jock's idea a lot for their own personal profit. Um, these are the things that cause us to hesitate. It is on the docket, but there are a lot of things that we need to do in order to be able to fully communicate this idea first. That's like a lot of the questions that you have, for example. The reason you have these questions is they're not currently adequately being answered in just a glance over of our materials. It's one of the reasons why Peter's making another movie right now, where he's going to a lot of people that are actually, you know, educated and qualified in the different areas of these sciences, so that because you and I know the technology exists, but most people don't. Okay, that's that's why we're in this phase now. It's not going to stay that way forever. But if people don't know what they're doing and we go into this, we could very easily break it and never be able to do it again, other than in small communities. I still feel that getting off the grid is, is the perfect example of why it can be done. Yeah. Okay, well, um, 
as we're approaching the, the end of our conversation, um, any upcoming events of the Venus Project in, in England or London or, or near London, I would be very interested to come along either as a passive um, observer or to speak and converse. I'd like to share ideas with you guys, so please keep me informed of anything that's coming up. Um, I'll well, yeah, that's, you know, I've seen videos on YouTube of people from the Zeitgeist Movement and the Love Police cooperating. Yeah, that, that's actually the biggest point before before we run out of time, but I, I, and I will let you talk again, I promise. I just want to make sure I get this out. The main point that I was trying to get at here, and I've done this with libertarians as well, is that we're not your enemy. Even if we got everything that we wanted, you'd be allowed to do whatever the hell you wanted. You would never be asked to be, participate if you didn't want to. Um, you know, Jacques used the example of the Amish. If they don't want to live with us, they don't have to. We, we don't advocate coercion ever for any reason. Under any circumstances, we have all the same enemies, essentially. Um, we may have some different ideas on how to go through some things, but the questions you're asking are good questions. But, they don't, but the only time that we run into a problem is when we start throwing out names like Satanism, NWO, all these charged words. It's like it's, we become a big angry mob, whereas we don't need to do that. It doesn't mean we don't need to address your concerns, don't get me wrong. But one of the things that has made me the most skeptical of conspiracy theories lately is because I know Jock and Roxanne. I know why they live in Venus, you know, why it's called the Venus Project. They live in Venus, Florida. Venus, Florida was in it was there before Jock and Roxanne ever moved there. It's a city. You know, it's a little town in Florida. You know, then they get they come up with these things like the morning star. You know, oh Venus is the morning star. So then I had to pull out the Bible and put take the quote from Revelation where it points out that in fact Jesus says he's the morning star in the last line of Revelation. It's just dumb things that people are coming up with that, as we, you said earlier, that you agreed with. The, the elite really want people like us, people who believe in personal freedom and egalitarian values. They really want us gone. And that's, that's why it, it, it tickles them pink to see us do this to each other. And I, I hope that, at, you know, and as you just said, you'd like to go along. Great. That, you know, let's concentrate on the things that we can do together. I know, for example, I have friends in my Michigan chapter who um, are members of the Green Party. I have friends in, you know, who are part of the anti-war movement, who are still part of the Zeitgeist movement. You know, uh, there are people who go to end the Fed rallies who are in the Zeitgeist movement. There's no reason why we can't work together on the things that we are worried about, because even if I got what I wanted, you're still going to be able to do whatever the hell you want. And even if you get what you wanted, I'm not going to be you know, downtrodden and stepped on. I mean, do, you, do you understand what I'm trying to say, that at the end of the day, maybe our methodology to achieve ultimate freedom is a little different, but we still have that goal of trying to yeah. make the best quality of life for everybody. No, Neil, um, 100%. I'm behind everything you've just said. Um, my two-hour chat with you now and reading Jack's book and meeting Jack, I was, um, I was irrational, and that's why I, I did that public apology on the video to uh, the Zeitgeist Movement and to Peter Joseph, because I was irrational. I was in my marijuana-induced uh, paranoid phase when I was worried about this and so forth. But I have total faith in humanity um, being able to survive anything. And also, I agree with you. It's, uh, we are wanting total change from different, slightly different viewpoints. And uh, speaking to you now, you're a nice guy, you've got your head screwed on, you're very polite, and I've enjoyed speaking to you. So um, you, you've been a very good representation of uh, your organization. Um, really quickly, uh, to those of you who are listening live, um, I, I, I want to give Charles this opportunity to give his final statements and exchanges. Um, the show may cut off, but don't worry, what Charles said at the end will be available on the recorded archive. 
Thank you for tuning in to V Radio. The link that you have given you've been given here to come to this show will also take you to the archive after the show. Please visit vradio.org, v-radio.org. Um, you can also, uh, if you can sign up for a free blog talk account, it allows you to take participate in the chat room, and you can click follow, and it will give you email notifications when I do these shows. Not all of my shows are directly Venus Project oriented. So anybody who's involved with the, the freedom movement, trying to open people's eyes, can probably get something beneficial out of my show. All right, Charles, take the floor. And, and once again, even if, even if it goes over, people will hear your last statement, because most of my listeners are downloaders anyway. So go ahead. No, okay. Now I just want to tell everyone that uh, the Love Police were having a Love Police Academy meet on the 5th of November, which is Guy Fox Day. That's the uh, gunpowder plot. We'll be meeting in Cambridge outside King's College at 11, 11 a.m. Uh, to um, proceed with the Love Police Academy. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners know my website. Just type in the Love Police into Google. And um, I am, you know, I, I'm just a kind of a human being who doesn't like authority. I don't like... Ten seconds. Oh, my God, I love you all. I love my family. I love my friends. I make love <laughs> help work. <laughs> Thank you very much, Charles. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as, as you were saying, you're, you're a human being who dislikes authority. Go ahead and finish your point there, because they will, they will hear it in the recorded archive. Yeah, like, there's no, no one's got any authority over anyone else. Just, And this is why I think a lot of the people who are scared of the Venus Project or Zeitgeist or or Alex Jones, or David, whoever you're scared of, just remember you're a human being, you know, you don't actually need to actually obey. And uh, my kind of heart goes out to the Chinese men, because in China they've had the one-child policy, which means that in China today, there are 30 million men who are unable, statistically, because it's the fact, unable to find a woman, because there aren't the women, because they aborted all the the, the, the little girls and fetuses. So, um... Yeah, even if you are those men, you know, become, as the Eric the Collarin uh, said, become the next Che Guevara. You've got an army of 30 million men who are very horny, and it's time to fuck the government. So down with authority <laughs> and uh, up with humanity. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Charles, for coming on. And, you know, if you have any more questions that are things that make you nervous, um, I make myself available to answer them all the time. And that goes for the listeners, maybe who tuned in, who might have similar questions. I have nothing to hide. Um, I make my contact information available on vradio.org for a reason. You can get a hold of me via Skype. You can get a hold of me via email. You can, you can post things on my wall on Facebook, but my Facebook is so huge and packed full of garbage that um, messaging me via Facebook directly is probably not a good idea because it's full of spam. But my, e- my email, vtv at v-radio.org, um, I always get, and it's no problem. My Skype is vtv115, um, and you can find all of that in the contact area on vradio.org. Um, thank you again, Charles, for coming on. I'm actually very happy that this went down, and, I, and I've told people that, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, that's, that's actually one of the reasons why this was so controversial is that it wasn't that Zeitgeist people even were just as, as hurt that, that you didn't like what we were doing anymore. It was also that a lot of the people in this movement really looked up to you, and, and they were very disappointed with, with how it happened. And, and you've done a huge thing, you know, to, to apologize for that. And I, I really applaud you, and I pulled that to every Zeitgeist member who was running around throwing out the, the name-calling. I'm like, look, man, you know, don't rub this in. This guy just did something that requires more courage than you will ever believe in an extremely public fashion. You know, that needs to be commended because... Another major aspect that we talk about, for example, in the Zeitgeist movement is that people shouldn't be afraid of being wrong. They should, in fact, be afraid of 
continuing to believe they are right about something that they're wrong about. Um, Thank you, Neil. No, you're absolutely right. I'm just uh, an ape with an overclocked graphics card uh, running across the surface of this beautiful planet, and I make mistakes, and I irrationally jump around and say stupid things. So for me, it's not, it's no, I'm, I appreciate what you're saying and you know, um, the compliment about how it's a big thing for me to do, but really it, I'm just a, a human being and sometimes I fuck up and say stupid things. So I'm very happy to, for you guys to be so cool about it. And uh, you're just human beings as well. And I love meeting Jack and Roxanne. You know, Jack gives a good hug for, how old is he, 95, 94? 94, 94. 94, he gives a good hug for a 94-year-old. Um, and, uh, you know, hey, you know, let's let's all learn together. And as I said in my apology video, we're all after ultimately change and like kind of progression of humanity and like I'm sure we can accommodate everyone's individual viewpoints because after all we're human and we've always done it we always will so thanks for having me on the show and thanks to everyone for listening to us rant away for two and a quarter hours yes and um, and Charles uh, before you go I, w- I want to say one more thing and this is true of any other freedom movement if you have major events going on like the ones Charles is talking about I have no problem uh, either bringing you on the show to talk about them, to promote them, um, or even just mentioning them. If you send them to me in an ma- email, I will do my best to mention them and tell people, hey, you know, there's a rally going on here or there uh, to share the basically my listeners with you. Um, so by all means, uh, anytime you can, uh, you know, they, there's going to be something like you're doing, for example, you know, the Guy Fox Day, I think that's great. I mean, uh, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the reason I'm BTV is actually because of the film uh, V for Vendetta um, in the scene where he's taken over the, the televisions and there's this little VTV icon in the lower right-hand corner. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's where my radio personality came from, all the way back during the, the Ron Paul revolution. Um, well, I like, your, um, I like your email address because V is my favorite letter for obvious reasons. <laughs> right, and as we discovered when we were talking on Facebook, you're CTV because you're Charles May. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like yeah, Charles Torres Vetch or CTV. So it's BTV and CTV here on B Radio. But um, all right. Thanks again, Charles. I, I know it's getting late for you. You got to be getting tired, and I've got some stuff I need to do too. And um, you know, Ed, thank you for coming on B Radio, and thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Neil. All right, everybody. I'm going to leave you with some parting words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.